Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah. Spoken. This is the extreme life of Matt Hardy, and the pro wrestling podcast world is about to be broken. We are broadcasting from the Blue Chew Studios. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code HARDY at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. I, of course, am John Alba here on the Podcast Heat Network, and I'm so excited to finally get this podcast going up and off the ground. I've had this idea for three plus years now. What would a Matt Hardy podcast sound like? And you know what? I think we're about to find out. So let's bring in the man of the hour. Big money Matt himself, Matt freaking Hardy. I heard a guy say that one time. I just had to say it like that, Matt freaking Hardy. Matt, what's going on, man? Oh, good. Uh, I'm very excited to be uh, this uh, the extreme life of Matt alongside you. And uh, this is going to be really, really fun. I'm really looking forward to it, especially speaking out of character, uh, being very genuine, being completely honest and transparent about everything. It, it's something that I feel like I've uh, I've held in for you know almost three decades now. So it's very exciting to have this platform where I can actually do that. I have always looked at you, and I've been I've been doing all these interviews here promoting this podcast. I've looked at you as the secret sauce to one of pro wrestling's most exciting times. And you've carried that throughout all these generations of performing. And I think selfishly, obviously, but I think genuinely, this is going to be such a treat for pro wrestling fans around the world to get this type of insight. Because as I've gotten to know you, I've learned that you're not just a great pro wrestling mind. You're a great educator. And I think there's so much that people are going to learn through the extreme life of Matt Hardy. What are you hoping that people get out of this show? I hope by watching this show, by listening to this show, is really how we're going to be delivering more than any other way. Uh, I, I hope that they look at me in a different light. Uh, first and foremost, you know, I became famous by being one half of the Hardy Boys, who were promoted as these daredevils 
as adrenaline junkies. There were many different terms, you know, stuntmen who were willing to jump off anything, risk life and limb to entertain the crowd and win the match. But at the end of the day, you know, that wasn't really necessarily me. I'm much better when I'm in the ring and I'm playing an over-the-top character, an over-the-top persona, uh, something larger than life, whether it be Matt Hardy version one or broken Matt Hardy. I, I feel like that is where I truly excel. That is where I am at my strongest. And I also want people to listen and hear me, and I want them to look at me, but not necessarily from the physical aspect from the creative aspect and from the emotional and mental aspect fearless when it comes to entertaining them and taking chances. And also here, I really feel like I have led a pretty inspirational life, a very complete life. I'm 47 years young and I feel like I've done everything I ever wanted to achieve in life, which has been pretty incredible. But I hope by listening to the extreme life of Matt Hardy in this podcast week in and week out. I also hope that people feel inspired or they feel motivated, you know, not to be afraid to take chances, not to, to follow their dreams, not to be afraid of what other people think about you, you know, just know that you are in control of your own destiny. And if you have something that you really want to do, do the work, bust your ass. And if you believe you can achieve, because I just kind of like been my motto, my entire career. And I feel like that's obviously part of the reason I have been able to exist in this crazy industry for so so long yeah and you've not just existed you've also thrived in that industry for so so long and i just feel this is going to be so different than some of these other quote-unquote nostalgia podcasts because we are going to have that ability and and thankfully because of your transparency and willingness to talk mm -hmm. about this stuff we're going to bridge the past to the future and the present and talk about how these crazy things that have happened in your life have helped shape the way that pro wrestling is right now. Because for my money, you're one of the more influential figures in pro wrestling history. And I know that may be hard to like hear something like that, but I really do believe that your fingerprints are all over so many different things. And I have to imagine that it, that probably excites you a little bit to talk a little bit about what's going on today. It, it does. Um, and I'll admit, when I was doing my homework for today's episode, you know, sitting back and talking to, you know, Adam, which is Edge, and Jay, which is Christian, and also Jeff, who is, it was just great looking back on the memories of that night in Cleveland, 1999, and thinking about how we had no idea the match we were doing that evening would help form the style, especially out of a standard wrestling match going forward in the future and how influential that match would ultimately be. Because if it's not for that match, you know, you don't have the table match against the Dudleys. You don't have the TLC series. You know, that match is now uh, a staple. The TLC concept is a staple. And it all started because of our tag team ladder match at No Mercy 1999. And we all knew we were being given this amazing opportunity. And myself and Jeff, we had ladder matches on the indies quite a bit as Matt Hardy surge is, was my gimmick then versus Jeff Hardy's will of the wisp. So ladder matches were a big deal to us. And we knew with these two guys with Adam Copeland and, and Jay Riso, we knew if we got them in the ring for a tag team ladder match, we can make magic and get back on that night. We really did. And it's crazy, but it's awesome. So inspirational to me now looking back at how influential that match was. And that's why we're opening this entire podcast lore with the 1999 WWF No Mercy Tag Team Ladder Match. It is the first tag team ladder match in WWE history. 
and it is something that I am just so excited to get into with you. But Matt, there's some ground rules we have to establish within the universe of this podcast because you yourself have a multiverse to delve into. And one of my favorite incarnations of you involves the Matt Facts. So that's why I thought it was super important that we include Matt Facts in this podcast, The Extreme Life of Matt Hardy. And you're going to give us a Matt Fact every single week here that's going to relate to the topic at hand. So as we begin our journey here with the No Mercy Ladder Match, lay on us. Matt Fact number one. Matt Fact. Matt has never encountered a ladder he cannot climb. I love it. I love it. I love it. And that brings me to my first question for you. You just talked about how you worked ladder matches on the independent scene working against Jeff. What was your first introduction to the concept of the ladder match? And why was it something that you were not fearless of at all? Uh, our first introduction to the ladder match was most people in pro wrestling's first introduction to the ladder match. Uh, WrestleMania 10, the heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels versus Razor Ramon. And that was a match when we watched it, it truly got a hold on us. I mean, and that's right. We had just started actually wrestling then, you know, so we hadn't been wrestling that long before that we were very new to the game. Uh, we were young green rookies that were super hungry. And when we saw this ladder match, we're like, Oh my God, this is something that we could thrive at. And we just thought it was an amazing spectacle, obviously, because it had a great story, but also it had these amazing stunts, which made these guys I've always thought pro wrestlers are like living, breathing superheroes because you have these real people that are doing real time stunts in front of you, you know, and it is, it's like the closest to a real life superhero you can get in many, many ways. And there's good guys and bad guys. But now when we saw this ladder match and some of the incredible things they did in it, we're like, wow, these guys are truly, you know, real life superheroes. And that's what we want to do that, that very much inspired our style especially as far as wanting to do ladder matches and knowing that we were smaller guys at that time we knew that if we could do ladder matches we could pull off new things that hadn't been done yet and and there was a lot of groundbreaking we could do we could truly be trailblazers in this and myself and jeff we had some absolutely insane crazy ladder matches on the independent scene here in north carolina as uh, matt hardy surge Versus Will the Wisps, Jeff Hardy. You know, a lot of them were never even recorded, <laughs> but there there are some that had been documented, and and a lot of those matches were inserted into ideas that happened in the No Mercy '99 ladder match. I love what you talked about there with pro wrestlers being larger than life superheroes because I feel like that's a commonality that a lot of people who love pro wrestling draw that that com- that comparison to real life superheroes and you guys are very much that embodiment when you're up there leaping off ladders. Did you ever articulate that to Scott Hall or to Shawn Michaels in conversations that this was such an instrumental moment for you and Jeff? We, we did, we did tell them this later in time, especially after we got to know them better. And, and one thing I will say about the click guys, they were always cool with us uh, from the very first day, quick uh, sidebar story is our very first trip to, to WWE to be extras, be enhancement talent, was in May of 1994. And the very first night, I was booked to work Nikolai Volkov on live TV. And obviously, I was incredibly nervous. You know, this was really, this was going to be like my 10th or 11th match inside of a real regulation ring, not a trampoline or not a half real ring, half trampoline ring. You know, I'd had so few matches. And I'd 
earned the opportunity to go after working with the Italian stand in George South a few times. And my brother had went as well. And at, at, at the beginning of the night, I was the only person wrestling. And there was a guy named Keith Davis that wrestled for Stallion. He was going to be wrestling Razor Ramon Scott Hall on one of the pre-tape draw episodes that was going to air in a few weeks. And then just minutes before this match happened, he ended up freaking out and said, I can't take that finish. I can't take that finish. I, I, I can't, I, I can't wrestle. And then Stallion, who was the booker who had brought him was like, Oh my God, well, I definitely want to get one of my guys on there because he's getting, you know, 66% booking fee from us. He was my inspiration for big money, Matt, by the way, and the, the we fee booking deal, Italian Stallion. So he said, Hey, I have another guy who is very good. He can take any bump Razor Ramon wants. His name's Jeff Hardy. Hey, Jeff, come over here. Come over here. And Jeff had just got dressed real quick. And I mean, and they put together this match in like five or 10 minutes. And Scott Hall was frustrated that this guy backed out of the match. He was aggravated. And you could, it just seemed like he was ill in general. And he went out there and wrestled my brother. And that happened before my match went on live TV. And I was nervous. But to see my brother, who was 16 years old, who had to lie about his age, you know, which uh, he had to move his birthday back two years. Uh, he had to lie about his age to go out there, wrestle against Scott Hall, who was already frustrated and aggravated. Uh, and, and literally Scott Hall beat the shit out of him during the course of this whole match. And there was one point where he put him up on his shoulder and drove him into the turnbuckle, and Jeff's knee hit the post and banged up his knee real bad. And then after the match, when Scott had cooled down a little bit, he apologized to Jeff and, and he felt bad about it. And he said, thank you so much. You took great bumps for me. You busted your ass. Thank you for working hard. I went out and had my match with Nikolai Volkov. And then the, the click guys like took a liking to us. And I'll never forget the next day, Jeff was like, Jeff said, I want to quit wrestling. I never want to come back again. I've, I've, I've had enough of this. It's just it's a bad experience. And he wrestled X-Pac, one, two, three kid at that time and had a great match. And it like rejuvenated his love and passion for pro wrestling because he was very frustrated and down from that first night. But long story short, after he wrestled X-Pac, he came back through the second night and the click guys were looking at him and Xbox said, you know, every time I look at this guy, Jeff had his haircut like vanilla ice. He said, he like reminds me of vanilla ice. And Jeff was very motivated by vanilla ice at that time. And they said, yeah, you're right. And diesel looked at him and said, bump, 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 bump. So every time we would come and be extras, the click guys were always super cool to us. They were always very friendly uh, if there was a good spot, they would like say, Hey, put one of the Hardy guys in there. They're really good. You know, ice and ice and Matt, <laughs> you know, so that is so funny. He was known as ice for the longest time ever with the, with that circle of guys. Man, I'll tell you what, there are going to be some fans who are maybe introduced to wrestling in the last 10 years who are going to have no idea what the last part of that story is referring to with vanilla ice or ice ice baby, but that's a great call. Use YouTube, go look up a little bit of vanilla ice and, Stop, collaborate, and listen. But I, I love that story, though, because the, the click guys get this, for lack of better term, they get a reputation of being difficult to work with with some talent. But you guys at such a young age, coming off what you were doing on the local independent scene, and I can't wait to talk about that all in long form with you, and we will one day here on The Extreme Life of Matt Hardy. But you guys are willing to take inspiration from what you saw Scott Hall, uh, Razor Ramon, and Shawn Michaels do in that ladder match, what was the reaction that you were getting on the independent scene to those matches where you're doing stuff that these people probably had never seen before? They were excited. I I feel like they were shocked in many ways. I mean, a lot of times on these independent scenes, and especially you have to think 
25 years back, you have like virtually an indestructible Matt Hardy and Jeff Hardy going at it against one another. So we were doing all kinds of crazy stuff. We were taking all kinds of outrageous bumps where like looking back in hindsight, I'm like, oh my God, why were we doing all that? And the reason why is because we were young and hungry and we were we went out in the ring every single night to bust our ass and make a name for ourselves. You know, that was our whole goal. That's what we wanted to do. And and by hell or high water, we were going to do it. And just everything fell into the right place whenever we ended up doing the series with Edge and Christian and we had the Terry Invitational Tournament. And we knew that would be our opportunity to, to ask for a tag team ladder match and see if we could do something really special on that huge platform known as WWE. Well, it all leads us to October 17th, 1999 at the Gund Arena in Cleveland, Ohio. I'm sure it's very special for you whenever you step foot into that arena. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And I want to refer to the Wrestling Observer, Dave Meltzer's Wrestling Observer here for a quick second. Uh, The show as a whole got 91.6% thumbs up and unanimously, per the readers of the Wrestling Observer, your match was named the best of the show. Did you grow up on the Observer? Because this is, if we're talking nostalgia stuff, this is such a huge part of wrestling nostalgia. Dave Meltzer's Wrestling Observer newsletter. I'm curious what your opinions are on that. And when you hear something like that, that you were unanimously named best match, do you put any weight in that? Uh, I mean, that that is incredibly complimentary <laughs> that we were considered the best match on that night, especially because we were four young guys who really didn't have any major star power at that time. We were just new trying to, trying to establish ourselves, obviously. And, and that was really the match that I say this all the time that really took us and helped us turn the corner from being just WWE wrestlers to WWE superstars, truly. Uh, as far as growing up with the Wrestling Observer, I, I did not. Uh, I knew the Wrestling Observer obviously existed later. I did. I subscribed to the Pro Wrestling Torch for a while. That's the only thing that I can you know, really say that I did subscribe to for, for a while during that time, especially once I knew they they talked about the ins and outs of the industry. And I, and I feel like, too, I, I remember seeing the Observer just, it was so long and so detailed, so many words, right? In the Observer, I feel like maybe I was even drawn to the torch because like it was, you know, it had pictures It went with the story. I don't know. It was a little more newspaper like, you know, when the Observer was just like info, 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 info. Uh, so I'm not sure why, but I did. I, I, that I, way, I trust me. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, I read the Pro Wrestling Torch for a while earlier on. And, you know, I, I, I don't know if I put that that much stock in it i i knew that these were people who knew the ins and outs of our industry so it was important if they if they enjoyed it or if they liked it or if it was critically acclaimed to them it it was a big deal because they were very hard to impress because they were the the toughest of the tough critics you know my my biggest thing that i always worked for and i'd heard this from veterans back in the day is just the people that were in the arena that night you know with the fans in the arena if they are reacting to what you're doing if they're cheering and booing and you know, they're, they're into every bit of the action. If there's a false finish and it's one, two, oh, I mean, that's, that's when what you're doing is working. And, and that's the ultimate gauge and the ultimate barometer, which that was so insane and difficult during the pandemic era when there was no fans in the arena. It just, it, it, it felt so backwards and pro wrestling isn't pro wrestling without an audience because they truly are part of our magic. I mean, without, without, without a pro wrestling audience, pro wrestling is not as good. That's that's 
that, that that's just a to, to me that's just a fact the audience would be a really unique element in this match and i'm excited to delve into that yes. i do want to bring up what uh dave did bring up by the way this was a sellout crowd eighteen thousand seven hundred fifty two fans for this one uh four hundred seventy eight thousand dollars one four hundred seventy eight thousand one hundred fifty six dollar gate plus one hundred thirty thousand $303 in merchandise. I'm not a big math guy. You'll learn that along the course of this, but he had this to say, and it almost feels like some of this is prophetic. Edge Christian and the Hardy Boys took a big step toward being recognized as something more than people in the pack, garnering a standing ovation for their ladder match, which featured a series of creative and high-risk spots built around the ladder. Even with one of the stronger main events of the year with WWF champ Hunter Hearst Helmsley finally garnering his long-awaited win over Steve Austin when Rock's interference backfired, it was the younger wrestlers who left the lasting impression and were subject of the buzz with the show and that is going to be the theme of this and i can't wait to unpack all of this so let's talk uh some money stuff first because you are big money matt and i i think pay is something that we hear people in the front office maybe not want to talk about but you're someone who's very open and transparent with the importance of making money in pro wrestling that's what this industry is about so really good gate there business is great wwf just went public a few days before that what are we talking in terms of getting a payoff from a match like this? I'm so glad you asked that question. So I, uh, I did a deep dive in everyone's minds and obviously Matt Hardy, Jeff Hardy, edge and Christian, we've all been beat, beat up pretty good over the, over the course of these 25 years. So I was trying to think in my mind, I was like, what did we get paid? And then initially in my mind, it was 10 grand. And then I thought, I was like, hold up. Well, I remember five more. Maybe it was 15 grand. I remember there was a, a number and then there was five grand more. And then and I then, want to clarify that's per person, correct? Yes, this okay. is per person. Whenever I speak, it is per person. And then I started trying to rattle everyone's memories as, as I spoke to them about it. I said, does anybody remember exactly what we made for this match? And one of the funniest points were that uh, Christian reminded me about earlier today was he said, do you remember when road dog pulled us aside? He said, you guys, if you don't make 30 K each for that match, I'm going to quit the business. He says, so obviously <laughs> you should, if you guys don't make 30 K each, I'm going to quit the business. He says, Oh my God, you guys killed it and killed yourself as well. Uh, so I asked guys about the match. And then initially Jeff, my brother, Jeff said 50,000 question mark. And then, he, then he said like, Oh no, no, wait, I hit five and said to 20,000 question mark. And then I, I asked Edge about it. He said, I don't know. Was it 5,000? Was it 10,000? I said, that 10,000 stuck out in my head initially. And then I asked Christian, but I said, I, I, I have a pretty good lock on this because I remember I remember it well. What happened when we got that payday? And you would get paydays for pay-per-views like three months later in that day because they would wait till all the paper, pay-per-view revenue came in. We got $5,000 for the match. And then... We, we, we thought like, oh my God, come on guys. This was like a show stiller and like people were buying the replay for this match. We knew it was definitely special. And we addressed JR about this. And then JR ended up bonusing us each $5,000. So we all made $10,000 on that night. The No Mercy 99 match. This fact has never been publicly stated or revealed. $10,000 ended up being the ultimate payoff after 
we questioned the $5,000 and we got a $5,000 bonus because we said, I know there's so much buzz and so much hype behind this match. People are buying the replay specifically for this match because everybody wants to see this match. And JR's explanation was, was perfectly logical and, and reasonable, I would say. He said, well, coming into this match, it was a big platform and opportunity for you guys, but you guys weren't the ones they were selling this pay-per-view. You know, you weren't a Stone Cold Steve Austin. You weren't a Triple H or you weren't, weren't you were not an Undertaker or DX, whoever, one of the, the main draws who actually, you know, brought people to the show to buy the pay-per-view. We did get highlighted on that night with them, you know, so that, that was understandable, but he did, he did buy into our point of people are buying the replays because of this match. And we know that a lot of people were like buzzed and, 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 and that created like, uh, it, it created this 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 unique like oh my god these guys are crazy you got to watch this ladder match these guys are crazy that, that, that kind of buzz so people were buying the pay-per-view it did really well in replays so they did bonuses as far as that goes are you looking to take your gimmick from broken to woken well lucky for you this episode of the extreme life of matt hardy is brought to you by blue chew listen i know a lot of wrestling fans have plenty of bravado when sharing their opinions on twitter but what about when it comes time to step up to the plate in the bedroom? That's where Blue Chew comes in. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but it comes in chewable tablets and at a fraction of the cost. Now, if you're like Matt and you're always on the road or you're at work at different hours every day, no problem. You can take them on a moment's notice, and then what do you know? Things are about to get extreme. And the process is incredibly easy. Sign up at BlueChew.com and consult with one of their licensed medical providers. And once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within just days. And all those confidence problems will soon become obsolete. The best part is it's all done online. You don't have to go to the doctor. You don't have to wait in line at the pharmacy. And you can spend your free time creating poetry in motion rather than having awkward conversations about your ladder breaking before you can get it set up. Blue Chew's tablets are made in the USA and prepared and shipped direct to your door in a discreet package, so nothing to worry about. House Hardy has grown in size quite a bit over the years, if you haven't noticed. That's because Matt Hardy knows the importance of taking the twist of fate into your own hands rather than letting yourself be a whisper in the wind. V1 of your sex life may not have been great, but V2 can be. So if you could benefit from extra confidence when it's time to perform, Blue Chew can help. And we got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code PARTY at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's BlueChew.com promo code PARTY to receive your first month free. Visit BlueChew.com for more details and important safety information. And we thank Blue Chew for sponsoring our podcast. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. Christmas is finally behind us, but are you dreading those credit card bills headed your way? Well, here's a pro tip. Don't get stuck making minimum payments in the new year. Savewithconrad.com can help you get rid of your credit card debt just like that. Oh, and we're going to get you the best deal on a mortgage you've ever had. But how's this for starters? No payments until March. You don't need money out of your pocket or perfect credit. So find out how much money you can save for free right now at savewithconrad.com. Ask coming off of that, though. 
and I think that's great that JR recognized because Jim Ross says people may or may not be familiar with JR was in charge of payroll at this time. So yes. you guys going to him, that is not unusual. That is what talent would do. And I'm, but I want to know, does that now set the precedence that hardcore matches, these guys are do a little more of a bump and pay because of what they're putting their bodies through. Obviously back in these days, there was much more of a hierarchy and, and I feel like people really looked at as like top tier acts, you know, uh, a little bit underneath that almost top tier middle of the card. And then, you know, opening acts, you know, so for us to not get a huge payday off this match that ended up being like a monumental deal, I, I, I do understand it looking back in hindsight and looking back at business and understanding how the WWE works. And I feel like over time, uh, the system has changed in many ways. Uh, the, the pay structure has changed where people are treated more equal in this day and age. I, I feel like equality has been a big part of our society as we have moved forward in time anyway. And uh, people are looking for equality on all levels. I feel like that's kind of like thing, things that have just been ingrained, not only in business, but also just society. But then we made five and five, which ended up being 10, which was a small piece of the pie. Back then, you had these things called downside guarantees. And what a downside guarantee was, is like you were guaranteed to make X amount of dollars. My downside guarantee was in 1999. It was $75,000. Wow. Um, so if you busted your ass, if you worked hard, if you got over, if you were on every show, then you could make you know, double, triple, quadruple that guarantee. Uh, I'll be quite honest. And uh, in, in that year, we tripled our, our guarantee of 75 grand in 1999. And in uh, 2000, we made 13 times our guarantee. You know, we were on 75, 75, 100, 125, 150-year deals then. So you you could bust your ass and you could work hard and get over. And that was like the, the, the motivation. You were supposed to use that as motivation to try and be better and, and make more money. That, that's how they wanted talent to try and work harder to move up the card or become a bigger act. Now, in this day and age, uh, the last few years at WWE, whatever you're downside guarantee is i think it's more or less a salary you know where they they pay a little more money but it's like that's pretty much what you're gonna make right. <laughs> you know they, they they advertise it as a downside guarantee but whatever you end up uh making it's not going to be much more than that amount so right and, and know, the that's probably part of just the quality of the industry has changed too where there's not uh, you're not basing your payouts off the live gate as much anymore there's so many different revenue streams that are coming in. At least I'm talking the WWE realm where Saudi Arabia, pay-per-view, everything, all these Peacock deals, all that. So the pay structure is not, we need to draw this at the house this week. And that's what the boys are going to get. So that seems like a natural yes. change in that sense. I mean, it's very different. I mean, even, even at AEW, I mean, you look at, at media, there's so many different uh, sources of revenue coming in besides just like your television deal. You know, which is like uh, the, obviously the main uh, the main payday that is coming in from the company, which they pay their, uh, you know, pay, pay the wrestlers out of, you know, WB. God, this huge. They've got, you know, the huge two television, the Peacock deal, Saudi Arabia. And then there's plus other little things where money just continues to, to you know, trickle in. So so it really does. It's, it's very, very different in this day and age because media has just media and technology has expanded so much more. So there is so much more money they are making like TV isn't. It's the main focus, but it's not the entire focus in this day and age. 
Yeah, hundred percent. And just to put in perspective, WWE had revenue of two hundred fifty-one point five million dollars and net income of fifty-six million dollars in the fiscal year of nineteen ninety-nine. Was the highest ever to that point. Just big, big time money coming in. And you know, to the point that I was making, I just want to put a bow tie on this. Like, yeah, sure, maybe, maybe it didn't set a precedent per se on how much money you get paid for a hardcore match. But what it did do was it made those hardcore ladder matches and TLC matches part of that draw that you're talking about where people are buying these pay-per-views because they, they're going to get a great ladder match out of it. Yes, we, we put equity in the ladder match concept where people are going to be more likely to buy pay-per-view because they see Hardys or Edge and Christian in a ladder match environment. Because we 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 put equity in that concept and we made it like a staple and we made it something that became very popular. It had like a huge cult following at that time. And little did we know that it would kind of change the whole style of wrestling in many, many ways. Because wrestling, that match is like a precursor to what wrestling is today, especially outside of your basic match when you have like a gimmick match, whether it's a, la- a ladder match or a table match or a TLC match or a cage match, whatever the match may be, it's going to be much more... Uh, exciting. Uh, there's going to be more stunts in it. It's going to be much more athletic and acrobatic. And we were kind of the pioneers of that movement at the No Mercy Ladder Match. Yeah, I mean, WWE even created an entire pay-per-view concept off of it. So I think it's safe to say that it became a draw. Yeah. One other thing that I want to say as we get into this is it's a very unique time. And John, I was going to say they did. They created a whole TLC pay-per-view out of it, but we have haven't gotten any kickbacks from that wow oh man no kickbacks whatsoever from no residuals nothing as a result of the pay-per-view concept it was dropped this past year so maybe someone caught ear that you were going to bring that up at some point and they are just like yeah we should probably get that yeah maybe big money matt was going to get his fleet of attorneys on them <laughs> i love the i love the idea of that having just the visuals very very jerry McDevitt get the phone call anyway so uh this is a really interesting time in terms of the creative too because this terry invitational tournament comes at a time where the wwf tag team scene is infiltrated by the rock and mankind and the holly cousins and you guys are getting this perpendicular story to it. it it's congruent in a way and it's also the first week of the new era of wcw with ed ferrara and vince russo in charge so did you guys directly pitch the terry invitational tournament to vince russo and his team was he directly involved in this and not getting to see the payoff of it in any way because we hear all throughout the years that vince russo always had a story ready for anybody regardless of whether it was a good story or not wherever they may have been on the card as far as vince russo was concerned we really didn't interact very much with vince russo he was always he was always friendly he was always cool uh, we worked with Ed Ferrara a lot. I feel like Vince Russo was there working with kind of the tippity top guys at that time. And that was his priority. Although I'm sure he wrote for everyone, but we were kind of delegated to, to working with Ed Ferrara, especially if we had pre-tapes or any sort of promo, whatever, when it came to that. I remember during the Terry Invitational Tournament that that is when it, the news broke that Vince Russo and Ed had left to go to WCW. And we we're like, whoa, uh, how's this going to affect things? Because it really did seem like he was such a major part of the whole WWE recipe, you know, and, and we weren't sure at first, but it, it turns out it really didn't change much of anything in the big scheme of things, because really Vince was the filter. Vince has always been the final say. 
He has been the ultimate word, uh, the ultimate decision maker because it's his company and that's how it should be, you know, and, and, and nothing really changed in the big scheme of things. As far as the term, the Terry Invitational Tournament, uh, if you take the abbreviation of that term and it being tit, <laughs> I could totally see that being Vince Russo's idea. That's very much up his alley, right? You know, and 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 the the way he would like to promote things and 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 put that little uh, that little sense of humor in it. As far as the pitch for doing the ladder match in the Best Up series, that was something that myself and my brother Edge and Christian we all approached Vince about. Vince McMahon, not Vince Russo. We spoke to to Vince McMahon about it, and we said we think we could really excel in this environment because we'd had a series of matches on house shows all throughout that year, and it was reported Jack Lonza, who uh, Black Jack Jack Lonza, who just recently passed, bless his heart, uh, rest in peace, Jack. He was our main house show agent, and he kept reporting like they're having they open the card. These guys kill it right from the jump. And they set an amazing tone and precedence for the show. These guys are going to be future stars because this tag match is one of the best tag matches I've ever seen. Normal tag match. We'd go out there for 15 minutes and kill it every night. So we we started getting bonuses. And every time he would put like, this match was better than last night. This match was better than two nights before, whatever. You know, we got bonus for weeks at a time from JR, which was cool because we were working so hard and they were really rewarding us for our hard work. And people were really starting to respond to us on these live events as well. So once we had all this momentum built up, they knew we worked good together. They wanted to do a program where we came to like a, a, a big head. And this is kind of what we pitched to do a best up. And we wanted every different match to be like kind of a different gimmick that we could. Maybe the first one, a standard straightforward wrestling match. Uh, we, d- we didn't get that exact, but we did get to put some gimmick matches in there. We had some Texas Tornado tags, which were really good, really fun. But we did get to come to the final match, which would decide the winner of this tournament, and it was a ladder match. And that was something that we wanted to do because myself and Jeff, once again, we had experience in ladder matches, and we knew this was something that Edge and Christian would, would kill. We knew they would be so good at this, and they were like the perfect opponents. We complimented each other so much. We knew if we got this opportunity – on this huge platform of WWE that we could, we could make magic and we could turn this into something special. Uh, I, I don't think we had any idea it would have the effect that it did have on the industry and, and our careers, but we knew we could do something special. Was there any pushback to that, whether it be from Edge and Christian, from Vince McMahon, from any other higher-ups? As far as I know, there wasn't any pushback, but... I definitely could sense that there were some maybe of the top tier talent guys that felt like, oh, you've got all these young guys out here and they're just doing too much. This right. is going to like kill the flow of the show. Or I, I, I kind of had, had, had a bit of that sense. Uh, one thing that I remember very well is that when the match was over, I remember Mick Foley coming and congratulating us. I mean, just the most genuine heartfelt congratulations. And of course he, he is going to, because he, he, he is a guy who made such a name doing death matches and, and taking crazy, insane bumps and stuff. And he saw us go out there and, and do this amazing match that was uh, a breakthrough scenario as far as ladder matches go. And the other person that really stands out to me is Stone Cold Steve Austin. Because Steve was obviously the hottest person in the industry right at this time. You know, just, just still so hot, so amazing. One of the biggest draws, biggest attractions ever. He came up to us at the very end and said, he says, "Hell, guys! I got to tell you, you, you can't you, you can't lie about this one. You guys stole the show tonight, you know." And he, and he was on there, and and to get that compliment from him, 
to get that love from was like, whoa, that was that was really mind blowing. He said, you guys stole the show tonight. He said, so here you go, guys. He says, here you go. Here's, here's an old Steve Weiser on me. Let's, let's have a chairs. And he gave us chairs in, in our actuality. It was following our No Mercy ladder match. And we cheered with Edge, Christian, Steve, and had a had a beer there after the match, which was which was so cool and so amazing. But considering Steve was the top guy who could put a thumb on somebody if he wanted to, or like say these guys did too much shit, they need to fucking scale things down. They need to need to need to tune tune things down a little bit. He he did not. He was cool. He was complimentary, and he's like, hell yeah, full speed forward. You know, let's well, fucking it's, let's it's kick ass. So, you guys did this. Because like, and I'm sorry for cutting you off there, but like this was such a sink or swim thing because you guys got the spot. You got the tournament. If it fails or if it doesn't live up to the hype, who's to guarantee that you're going to get another chance? We always hear that, that Vince McMahon is always willing to give a chance. You got your chance, but if it didn't go well, I don't think we're sitting here having this conversation right now, Matt. No, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, if that if that match turns out being a disaster <laughs> in any capacity, I mean, we we don't continue to do more things. You don't see table matches, you don't see TLC matches, you don't have those amazing memories from you know WrestleMania 16, 17 don't exist. They don't materialize, they don't happen. And 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 also you don't see the tag team division become as over as it did at that time too i mean that that was just that that spoke volumes about how successful that match was that myself edge and christian and myself my brother edge and christian and the dudleys were able to like really raise the equity of the tag team division wwe because people know too vince vince mcmahon he isn't a, a a tag team wrestling person i mean the way he looks at things I need single stars who can be my world champion. That, that's what people are invested in. You know, if he ever gets a tag team that becomes extremely and in, in, in a crazy way over like mad, he's just looking to break those guys up and turn them into single stars. That's just kind of his mindset. You know, that's one of the things I love about the young bucks. They just want to be a tag team forever. And that's how that, that was mine and Jeff's mindset at that time. And, uh, even looking back at that match, you know, with Edge and Christian, there were a couple different ideas, and we'll talk about this later about the finish. But they they may have separated that night, and they didn't. And I think all of us wanted to, to take tag team wrestling, which we all love. And whenever I say that, I mean myself, Jeff, Edge, Christian, and the Dudleys as well. And we want to elevate it to the highest level that we possibly could. And and I will always be grateful to Vince McMahon for trusting four kids to go out there and have this no mercy ladder match. You know, he, he gave us that opportunity and uh, that, that, that can't be, that can't be stable enough. If it wasn't for him allowing us and trusting us, this match in theory could have been okay or all right. I mean, it ended up being exceptional. Yeah. Exceptional is a, is a light way to put it. And uh, just for anyone who is joining us here on this first episode of the extreme life of Matt Hardy, we're so grateful uh, for you for joining us. We are dealing with, with uh, some technical issues right now, Matt is in North Carolina where the weather hasn't been cooperating super great. So if you hear uh, any uh, modulating going in and out, we do apologize for that. But I want to keep us rolling here, Matt, uh, getting into the lead up of the Terry Invitational Tournament here because there's so much going on. There's so many moving parts here in this tournament that you guys pitched. And it starts in the summer of 99 where Edge and Christian split with Gangrel. But he convinces you two to turn on Michael Hayes, who I know we will have an awesome episode about at some point here on the Extreme Life of Matt Hardy. He convinces you to join him to form the New Brood. 
And on September 30th, 1999, the tit begins. Uh, I just got to talk about Gangrel real quick here. I think Gangrel is one of the unsung heroes of the Attitude Era. You guys didn't get a long enough run with him. You didn't need a long run with him, truthfully, but you did get a chance to experience somewhat of the brood entrance coming up through the fire. Number one, uh, what was it like working with him? And number two, how much of a banger is the original brood theme? Uh, Gangrel is the absolute best. Just a, a, a total sweetheart in, in every way imaginable. The very first time we met him uh, was at an independent show back in 1993, I want to say. And wow. he had the fangs, the whole gimmick. And I remember myself and Jeff meeting him. And uh, he he was leaving a restaurant. And someone asked him, hey, you need a ride? He said, no, I'm just going to walk. And I remember Jeff's like, oh, my God, he's so cool. He's so fucking cool. He's got fangs. He's just going to walk. <laughs> he's like a real vampire. He's committed to the gig. Uh, but but we had a great time whenever we worked against Edge and Christian on the house shows for the majority of early 1999 through the spring and summer. We always worked with Gangrel and we all became very close during that time that we were working together. Uh, and when he joined us, it was great to have him with us for a run. We we really did like it. It was a lot of fun. Uh, did we need Gang Gangrel pass that? Probably didn't. But it did suck losing his music because yes it was a banger and yes coming up through the fire was the most amazing thing ever that was the, that was the coolest entrance and it was just so much fun to do and really when you came up through the stage through the fire you felt like a badass i mean it, i feel like it helps you with the match because you're making such a badass i mean it, it, you can do no wrong it, it was the best man this this brood theme i'll tell you what i am so glad that edge is is back to using it right now on the wwe main roster for like big matches because i think it is the coolest thing in the world and then he transitions into his alter bridge theme and it's so awesome and yes you didn't get a chance to keep it but you're the hardy boys theme ain't, ain't too shabby either so it, it ended up working out okay for you guys so the the tournament getting into the actual makeup of it it's a best of five series the winning team gets one hundred thousand dollars in the managerial services of terry runnels now edge and christian win on that september 30th 1999 episode round two is on raw edge and christian win again to go up two nothing and there's no gang grill at ringside for you guys and that's notable on smackdown it's a tornado tag match you mentioned that you and jeff both pin christian to even things up the next week on raw it's another tornado tag but there's a brawl and tim white throws the match out as a double disqualification follow me here on SmackDown, Gangrel yep. is back. He gets involved. Jeff pins Edge, but Christian pins you. Yet, since Jeff and Edge were legal, the Hardys get the win here. So we are tied up yep. at two apiece. So a lot of moving pieces here. You mentioned, and I didn't know this until you just mentioned this, that you guys were the ones that pitched all these different stipulation ideas for the tournament. So did the idea of different stipulations lend itself to a ladder match? Or do you think in hindsight that traditional matches may have made the ladder match feel a little more special in terms of anticipation. I think looking back in hindsight, I think uh, regular matches definitely made the tornado matches, which were cool. And, and it did like up the ante a little bit. So it was like a building process. And I, I feel like the psychology ended up being pretty good. And and I want to say, I feel like we did that, that uh, double DQ. And I think everyone like got a win or, you know, it like, 
change the the margin as opposed to being a best of seven to now almost like a best of five but there was one time where it was almost like a draw between us or whatever they they <laughs> decided to, to shorten it and not have as many matches and i don't know why that exactly happened but it did but anyway we got to no mercy in this ladder match and uh considering we had some regular matches and some texas tornado i think we'd set the table very well to go out and have a banger that night you know yeah i just sometimes and maybe this is reflective of the era because everyone looks back at the attitude era so fondly right everyone's like this is the peak of pro wrestling entertainment and there's everyone <laughs> yes. mother is watching but th there's a lot of convolution yeah they they always will i mean ratings were so high and and when, when we were on the road doing house shows we would do 10 days on four days off it didn't make a difference where we were whether it was a monday a tuesday a wednesday a thursday uh sold out every night 15,000 people, 20,000 people sold out every night. I mean, business was like white hot. So that's why I'm sure, you know, it, it, people look at that attitude and like, oh my God, it was the greatest thing ever. But like, if you actually compare the wrestling to then to the wrestling for now, it's it, very, very different. And, and the wrestling now is absolutely better. You know, back then it was different because I feel like there was, it was so much more entertainment driven. And there isn't so much media now as there is too. You know, it, it's like there's there's so much competition out there in 2022. You know, but back then it was it was very different. It was very entertainment driven. There were a lot of you know really cheesy and campy skits and pre tapes and characters and whatnot. <laughs> you know, and the thing wasn't like always top notch. You know, so whenever we did have this tag team ladder match, I feel like we gave them top notch wrestling for a change. <laughs> hardcore wrestling <laughs> it just like i said there's so much convolution going on in this and people like look at it with so much fondness but there was a lot of crap in the attitude era and thankfully you guys were able to make something of this seeking the truth never gets old introducing june's journey the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery join june parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about... How to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. As we approach this fateful night here on No Mercy, there's a little bit of preparation that you guys have to do on your end. And in researching this, I did not know this story, but I'm glad I came across it. Edge posted the following to Instagram on July 24th of this year when WWE was in Cleveland. And it was a picture of a hallway. And he said, I know what you're saying. Why did you post a picture of a hallway? This hallway was instrumental to Edge and Christian, the Hardy Boys, taking flight. Some backstory, so bear with me. No Mercy 99, the Gundarina in Cleveland. I was living in the Bahamas, don't ask, and got stuck in Miami the night before the pay-per-view because of a hurricane. I woke up and realized I needed to drive through the hurricane, get to Tampa, where I could make a flight to Cleveland that landed at 3 and got me to the arena at 4. Our match was at 7.30. When I got to the arena, I raced in a sweaty, stressed mess and found Jay, Matt, and Jeff huddled in the hallway 
I joined. We put our demented minds together, and the tag team ladder match was born, which propelled us to where we all are now, still going strong 22 years later. After that match, we all came back to this hallway and had a beer, which is what you just referred to, which we all hate but seemed fitting. So, yeah, this hallway is special to me, as silly as it sounds. I got to spend some time there again yesterday and reflect. If I didn't make that flight, who knows how different my career might have been what a ride and not just his career but the career of three other individuals as well what do you remember about edge not being able to be there until right before the show and did that play any part in you guys not being able to lay the match out as you intended so i know adam had said don't ask he was in the bahamas i think someone had given uh, i think someone had given adam advice as far as move to the bahamas you might end up getting a tax break uh but I think it ended up being more hassle than it was truly worth because I know there were times where he was traveling in to, to be events and he had travel issues. It, it seemed like it was always an issue. It ended up being a, a much bigger headache than it was worth. But on this particular day, we were going to be traveling to Stanford, Connecticut to go to the house and we were, we were going to go over this match. We were going to talk about uh, different ways to utilize the ladder as a weapon the structures we could build with the ladder and just try and brainstorm and create ideas uh, to do in, in different new uh, innovative ways. So Adam happened to be caught in a hurricane, which was between the Bahamas and Florida at that time. And the hurricane was just ravaging that area and his flight was totally canceled. So he did not make it to stamp for himself, my brother and Christian. So we started looking at these ladders uh, Michael Hayes was working with us. It was something him and Vince felt really strongly on. They knew we were going to take some risk. We were going to do some, some challenging things. So they want us to try and go over it and try and brainstorm and be as well prepared for this match as we possibly could be. So we're in there. We're talking about different scenarios with the ladders. We're looking at different structures we can build, different creative ways to use it as, as a weapon. And Jeff and I had a lot of these in our back pocket because obviously, as I said, we had done these things on independent matches. So whenever we were there, one of my favorite moments and memories were, were creating the, the configuration that would be known as the seesaw spot, which is obviously when you had a ladder sitting on its side and it was open. And then you took another ladder that was closed and you put it over the top of it. And the part of the ladder that was laying against the mat, you could actually hit the other one and it would fling the part laying on the mat up. And I remember Michael Hayes, and this is one of our funniest memories from that day. He said, hey, I got an idea. I mean, Jeff, you're such a crazy high flyer and stuff. Like, what if you were standing on one end of the ladder and then you had someone jump on the other one and slung you up and you could do like a big splash or maybe a swanton. And we're like, oh my God, that sounds like a cartoon, Michael. I don't think I don't think that would be possible because the weight was so significant. I think if someone jumped on the end of the ladder, that part would fling up, but I don't think it would support Jeff Hardy's 225 pound body. So we ended up coming up with a, a scenario that we could have someone jump on one end of the ladder and it would fling up and it could hit someone. It could be used as a very creative form of a weapon. So what happened now? We did that Friday night where we came up with all these ideas. We did all this brainstorming uh, sans edge because he was stuck in the Bahamas. And then Saturday, myself, my brother and Christian, we flew to Cleveland to the Gund Arena. And Saturday, finally, Saturday evening, Edge was able to get into Miami, but everything was shut down in Miami. So he's still in Miami and he's got to go to bed that night and he's going to try and throw out a Hail Mary to get to the Gund Arena, Quicken Loans Arena now, to get there for 
the ladder match. So what he ends up doing, and you have to remember, this all happened to this dude on the day of the pay-per-view where he was going to go out and like bust his ass for, you know, do all these crazy risk and chance for 17 minutes. And just imagine his state of mind and how exhausted he was. At 5 a.m., he gets up in my car, drives up Alligator Alley all the way to Tampa, catches the last flight he could catch to make it to Cleveland from Tampa, connects in Atlanta, and lands a little bit after three in Cleveland, Ohio. Jumps in a car, rental car, whatever. Uh, get the venue. He's there like at four o'clock. And then he walks back to this hallway that we sat in. And so famously, almost iconically, in, and that's where he joined. He had like all these great ideas and all these ways to use ladders as weapons. And we had the, the ideas of structures to build and ways to formulate the ladder as far as the psychology of this match and, and try and continue to escalate things. But then once Adam got there, the four of us sat down and it was such an immediate energy in that space, in that room. And, and we, we always talked about it every time we'd go back because that, that hallway, it was almost like, like a church. It felt sacred. And it was such a special, almost mild energy, creativity flowing. You could feel it flowing. You could, you could literally feel it. And then we put together that match and we structured it. And then, you know, we, we felt great. We felt great about everything we had together. We felt great about everything we we're going to do. We were super confident that if we went out there, we were going to make magic and not just hit a home run, but a grand slam on that night. You mentioned a really important word there, and that was psychology. And when I work on the indie scenes, I listen to fans or I am obviously very active on wrestling Twitter and I see people talking about psychology and there's there's no psychology behind a ladder match. There's there's no and, and it boggles my mind because I, I think half the time and I don't say this in an insulting way, I just genuinely mean it. I don't believe a lot of wrestling fans know what wrestling psychology is. It's a buzz term, right? But they don't necessarily know what does wrestling psychology mean. So how do you incorporate quote unquote psychology into a ladder match like this? I mean, once again, uh, pro wrestling in itself is an art form and whether people want to admit it or not, it's entertainment, you know, and it's kind of catered more towards sports and entertainment as time has gone forward, especially the last few years. But like psychology is, and before the cat was out of the bag with kayfabe, psychology is, is, is basically suspension of disbelief. You go out and you have a wrestling match and you want to suck people into what you're doing. So using psychology is like trying to make the most sense possible. Everything's feasible. Everything's logical of why all these crazy events are happening, especially in a fight that is choreographed and a ladder match it's even more intense because it, it's choreographed as well, but you are trying to suspend disbelief and, and, and bring it into the sense of like, this is real and I'm enjoying it. Everything has to make sense connected to each other ultimately at the end of the day in a match like this. And that's a real big challenge once we break down the physics of a ladder match. So I think we've covered everything we can up to that point. And I think it's time to delve into what makes this match so special. And from what I understand, we have a, is, is it true that we have a special guest, Matt? Because I was not expecting this. We do. We have a special guest. Give me one second and I'm going to make him magically appear. So I wasn't expecting this. This is a straight up 
shocking return. I was at WrestleMania 33 when the Hardys made their shocking return to WWE. Well, there's a shocking debut here on the extreme life of Matt Hardy, and that's Jeff Hardy. And I'm staring across the, uh, the, the webcam here at both Matt and Jeff as we break down the iconic 1999 No Mercy ladder match. Jeff, I'm so grateful that you're going to help us get into this here. And let's let's just get right to it. Uh, immediately, you guys go after each other, the two teams, and Matt gets hung up in the ropes right away, right out of the <laughs> onslaught. Is that because of nerves? Is that a fluke? What's the deal there? Uh, basically, you, you rarely see two guys hitting the ropes at the same time. And this is why, because Jeff hit it uh, half a second before I did. So the rope was still pushed back as he was hitting it. So when I went to lay my body and neck against the rope, it wasn't there. So I went underneath. So it was one of those things. And for me, it was very frustrating. Like, oh, my God, this thing just started. And it's already like I've already screwed up. And and it was one of the greatest lessons that I always tried to uh, really make sure to, to teach myself or, or, or be comfortable with myself that like things don't have to be perfect. Like life in general, life doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be lived and you have to always try your best in that ladder match, even though that was like a mistake right off the jump, you know, it wasn't a big deal in the big scheme of things. I said, just keep your confidence and keep moving forward. You know, so it was one of those things like, you know, it happened and, it, and it's funny looking back. I remember you tell some pretty good jokes about it, right? Yeah, it's science, you know, or <laughs> mathematics. You know, you should know that, but thank God it wasn't me. That was for, you know, it worked out the way it did and that's the past. Yeah. I mean, it would probably have been better because like if I would have hit it first and his neck would have went through, it would have looked like <laughs> super cool. <laughs> you know, with me, not so much. Him, it looked well, super cool always. <laughs> But yeah, that, that was basically it. He hit the ropes right before I did. And then my head went underneath it and I jimmy myself. And God, we had so many laughs off that. I still, me and Christian laugh about it all the time. So you guys are working and, and I was watching this so intently and I, I noticed it immediately. The pace is off the charts. Like there's that term that wrestlers use all the time or, or saying, I should say, like, got to get all your shit in. And it like very much feels like that at the beginning here. We got to get to this. We got to get to this. Was it important to establish a pace that people can expect for this kind of match? Because they'd never seen anything like this. Yeah, I, I think about for us, we didn't have in mind like establishing a certain pace. Uh, we, we wanted to establish from us standpoint that we wanted to get the ladders and we wanted to put the ladders underneath the bag of money so we could win the match you know winning the match is something that is very important especially it is key and kind of the nucleus of your entire psychology of whatever the match may be so going back and watching it and i've watched this match a few times in the last couple of days our psychology was really strong in the beginning when we go back and forth with edge and christian we shut them down we go after the ladders they come out and stop us before we get to the ladders and then they beat us up in the ring. They go to get theirs and we stop them again before we get the ladders. And then following that, when we shut them down again, we ask Gangrel to get the ladders, which ultimately gets him kicked out. But our psychology in the very beginning was just meant to like, let's establish these guys all want to get the ladder because they want to climb and they want to win. So that was a simple psychology. And it truly was uh, step one of many steps of like making this match work and suspending disbelief. Now, Jeff, it takes until about probably three or four minutes in for Christian to do a running drop kick up the ladder onto you. And that's like the first real reaction of the match. Why do you think that was the moment where fans were like, oh, and they realized, OK, something different is happening here. And did you set it up that way? 
Yeah, I think we all did. And speaking about pace, they were always like so good at that as far as making thing build, things build until the very end, the very climax of it all. But like when Christian gave me that drop kick off of that incline ladder, that's when I knew this is going to be awesome. This is what we were born to yeah. do. This is why Willow and Surge had all those crazy ladder <laughs> matches in Omega because it's happening in front of the world right now. And I'm so pumped. And it just it built from there and it was beautiful. Uh, and and sp speaking of that, John, I just want to add like that. That is the first point. It's funny that you reverence that because ever since that match happened, that was the point where we said we had the audience. And we've always acknowledged that that is where they, they started when they did that little tug of war with the ladder and uh, Christian back Jeff into the corner and did the drop kick. That was that was the first big pop where people like really obnoxiously popped and reacted. And, uh, you know, that continued to build on throughout the match. And the first standing ovation was your uh, where you did the uh, leg drop over the ladder. Oh, we'll get to that as a catapult, which was amazing. It was which, amazing. And I can't wait to get into that. But be, yeah. the thing is, and it's so important that we don't jump to that, though, Matt, because yes. for as much as they pop at the beginning for that, that spot by Christian, there, drop kicking Jeff, they come back down again. And you guys are, it's almost like a tug of war with the audience in a way here. You end up getting power bombed off the letter, ladder by Edge. And then Jeff hits a missile drop kick to Edge on the ladder. And my only question after watching that, seeing how the landings happened, was how grateful were you that WWE changed the rings not that long before this? <laughs> uh, very grateful because uh, I, I, I will tell you, we, we worked in those hard rings and it's easy to understand why Shawn Michaels was forced to get back surgery, especially because he was a guy who took a lot of bumps. Those, those rings were brutal. They were like concrete, but they weren't built for guys like us. They weren't built for the current generation of pro wrestlers. They were built for, you know, earthquake and typhoon and, you know, Hogan's and Andre the giant. Sure. They were built for giant not for not for people like you guys and so we were built for guys who were six foot seven six foot eight 350 400 pounds no for people like us they were built for guys who were were giants which were in the 80s kind of like what dominated wwe you know and now as the business you have smaller guys and we in the large stand age you know but it was nice to have guys who actually feel a little more safe and bump a little more easily yeah and now you guys can do crazy stuff like what Jeff then did. And that is the leapfrog leg drop, which sees him stand on the top rope and leapfrog over a standing ladder. And it, it's, it's insane. It is insane. And in, even though I've seen it many times since from other people, you know that this was groundbreaking. And Jr is saying how he's never seen anything like that to this point. It's the first standing ovation that we get out of this match. Jeff, I can't even imagine how much that hurt, but what was the high that you were feeling from your adrenaline after you hear the crowd react like that? Yeah, it doesn't hurt until the adrenaline wears off. <laughs> you know, in the moment, you can see me go like this, and I think that was the moment I felt the energy, the adrenaline those people were providing me with. And that's when I knew we had made it. We were onto something extremely beautiful and with some longevity in it, hopefully. And uh, we were onto something oh, so great. And I, I knew that in that moment, I just, it gives me goosebumps now remembering that young Jeff Hardy and what I did that night. I was watching it. And not long after this, 
Edge hits a flatliner on Jeff. And I don't know if any of you guys could see this happen. I was like micro watching this match. But after he hits that flatliner on you, Howard Finkel is seen in the shot and his like hands, his head is in his hands. He's shaking his head. Are you guys cognizant of the reactions of your coworkers who are like there ringside watching all this madness unfold? No, not not in that environment, <laughs> you know, but considering it's a match with these inanimate objects of ladders in it and they're flying all over the place. We're just definitely trying to, to make sure we're staying safe and, and not letting any other human being or any other person fall on us in it when we're in a, a, a very uh, unsafe position. One, one thing I want to say, whenever Jeff did that uh, leapfrog over the ladder and like used it as a springboard, more or less. That, that moment where there was a standing ovation, something that really sums him up as a performer in so many ways, he has such this natural ability. And he, he's one of the best sellers, uh, one of the best people to ever react to a crowd. I mean, that moment where he fires up, you could see the mm-hmm. crowd fueled his fire up and that energy. And no one, there's very few people in the business that feel stuff from a crowd and, and like actually bond with the crowd better than he does. He does that so well. And that moment was so special because that was a moment where like, Whoa, something special is going on here. I mean, that, that, that was really a, 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 a very special moment in the match. Was that your guy's first standing ovation? I believe it had to be right. I, I, I would uh, imagine it was the first standing ovation, you know, and, and, and it really snowballed from that point on throughout the rest of the match. I mean, because we just, we had done things in the past where we'd obviously got big pops. I, I know like even when we came down our debut after we were in a contract, when we defeated Kai and Tai on a live heat, you know, like the crowd was like super excited and clearing and chapping, uh, clearing, uh, cheering and clapping. And I know there were different times where the people really did pop big for us, but you know, like we had just never been, looked at as like at that level pioneers or yeah. like breakthrough performers at that level yet. And that was one of the first times where we were starting to change uh, the way people perceived us. Well, then the standing ovations just keep coming. You hit a neck breaker on edge that earns a standing ovation. People have just never seen anything like this before. Christian hip tosses uh, or, or rather you, Jeff, hip toss Christian off the ladder. No, 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 oh, right. no. What? Christian, I was right the first Christian, time. Christian, hip yeah. toss, Jeff. Okay, so you're the one who felt the pain on that. Um, <laughs> uh, that earns a standing ovation. And then we get the seesaw spot, which I'm so grateful, Matt, that you broke down for us just before and that we now know is a Michael Hayes quasi invention, even though it didn't have the Acme cartoon uh, barbell <laughs> come down and, and hit anybody. Um, so my question is to you, after you take that to the face, how are you guys? Okay. Like you, you get your hands up there, but it, it's just such a micro fraction of an inch where anything can go wrong. Uh, I, I definitely think in that scenario, who felt the most pain was him just from sitting on that ladder because that, that, that hat, that had to hurt. I mean, I, I know it did. <laughs> and I know it's tailbone is toxic. It was, uh, you know, it was very sore after that myself and, and, uh, and, and Jay, we got our hands up just in time and it literally hit our hands. I remember it like cut my forearms a little bit. I had like scrapes and, and small cuts on or whatever, because that ladder's coming so hard and like, it's, sure. it's metal. And I know some people had thought or Meltzer maybe put like in the observer that some of these ladders they were using as weapons were lighter, you know, because they were throwing them in each other's face. None of the mat, none of the ladders were different. They were all the same weight. They were all heavy. I mean, those ladders are probably 
35 pounds. At least, yeah. Yeah, 35, 40 pounds. Uh, and, and anytime we were throwing them, they, they it was a regulation ladder. There was no alteration uh, to make them lighter or safer or what, whatever. And whenever, whenever that seesaw spot happened, it was just like, I remember we hit it and we fell down and like two snipers got us. And that, that was exactly what we wanted to portray in, in that environment. And that got another huge standing reaction, which was so great, a standing ovation. And I didn't feel nothing again until the adrenaline wore off later that night. But uh, man, the, the crowd reacted so, oh my gosh, so superhero-ish or whatever is what I felt like, you know, when that happened. And, and I looked back and they were okay, but then Years later, that's for another podcast. You can see how dangerous that spot actually is. Yeah, and that that will be another podcast at some point here on the wow. extreme do, life. Do you have anything like uh, as far as like creating that spot and thinking about it that you want to share? That I honestly can't. I give everybody credit. I don't know if it was my idea, like the original or our idea, something we did before. I, I can't well, remember. I I remember whenever you you formed it in Stanford, we built the the slingshot apparatus. Yeah, you know, yeah. where one was open on the ground and the other one was closed, obviously, and yeah, one end just a seesaw, was on yeah. the mat, so it was a seesaw. But Michael Hayes initially, remember, he asked you, he said, hey, he said, you think you could stand on one end and then somebody jumps on the other one, you go flying through there and maybe do a swanton or a splash or something. And like, I, I want to say my might be a springboard into the twist of fate. Yeah, maybe that's what he said. Yeah. yeah, maybe a springboard into the twist of fate. But then we're like, man, this isn't a cartoon. I don't, we can't do that. He weighs 220 pounds. You know, and, and, and then we realized that if someone jumped off and either s stepped or sat, and I remember you totally committed to, to sitting, you're like, no, I'm going to make sure I'm going to put my ass on like a leg drop, because like, if you stand on it, you might not hit it flush yeah, exactly. and it might not come up with the same amount of momentum. And you committed to that, like you were just going to sit on it. And I remember that is, that is when we kind of all brainstormed and created that idea, but it initially started once we built that apparatus michael hayes threw that cartoon suggestion out you know like you were going to slingshot somebody and they were going to go to the moon you know yeah, but my ass landed perfect in that last the last two rungs the top of the ladder and that first run from the top it landed perfectly in there so it was oh man it went so like flawless <laughs> and then after that the road runner runs by meet me yeah <laughs> <laughs> Here off we are. the cliff i stand in the air for a little bit and then i fall <laughs> Well, so, well, then we get the, no pun intended here, the Wildy Coyote cam as the two ladders are both set up at some point, not long after this, all four of you are climbing on separate ladders. Um, there's a double crotch spot and that's another standing ovation. This is the loudest one yet. I have to ask, because this was not the only time we'd see him do this, is Jay or Christian the greatest rope crotcher in the history of pro wrestling? Because that guy's got it down like an art. Right, he's second to me. Okay, gotcha. He didn't well, call you, for me to do it. He, he is really good at it, though. You, you was take a, a really hard spill to the outside off of that. Yeah, I, uh, I, 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 I do, which is, uh, and this is funny. I got to share this as well. And I almost, I, I may have shared this to my brother on the phone today. But like, uh, I had Maxwell, my six and a half year old son. And I was talking about this with Adam today. And I'm sure you can see this with your kids as well. When kids watch something, they're so honest. You get such a genuine reaction, right? To what it is. Like if they don't like it, they're just not going to like it. And in Maxwell, they enjoy that we wrestle and they, they understand that, you know, Dada and T.O., as they call my brother, Dada and T.O. were both wrestlers. And, you know, like we've been around for a while. We have toys. They don't understand why other people's dads don't, don't have toys as well. <laughs> but like Maxwell, I said, hey, will you watch this match with me? I'm watching it again tonight. He said, yeah, Dada, I'll watch it. And I said, 17 minutes. He's like, oh, 17 minutes. That's long. And then he sat back and watched it. And then as it started going on, 
whenever you did that drop kick and you drop kick edge off the off the ladder as we talked about and he said that was awesome to like for him to actually react to that as we're just sitting back watching it on an ipad right and then as when we do that double down and i do the spill he said oh my god dada you were spinning all the way to the floor and it was just so to hear that like he got he got amazing. involved he got emotionally and you know emotionally engaged and involved in this match as he was watching and at the very end he said dada i'm going to tell you the truth it was a long match. I thought it I, I, it was really good. He said, I thought it was probably going to be boring. He said, but that was really cool. I'm glad you and T.O. won. You guys were awesome. And that's like the greatest compliment ever, like to get that from him. So that was so cool that those those couple things, even when you're talking about that four-way down and me going out of the ring, that definitely stood out to him. The drop kick did. The slingshot, the uh, seesaw spots stood out to him. Some of the obviously marquee spots really caught his attention, but it was so cool to, to share that moment with him. And then Maxwell said four and two quarter stars after that. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and take it from there. Um, but then it brings us to the finish. And Jeff, Matt just shared with us that you were kind of the innovator behind this finish here. The separate ladders are up. Matt gets knocked off. He bumps into the other ladder. Jeff somehow, some way is able to leap from one ladder to the other underneath the money. The crowd, and this is the coolest part about this as I'm watching it, the crowd is realizing what's about to happen because they've never seen anything like this before. And they're realizing what's about to happen. And you knock Edge off, you grab it. The ladder is so wobbly that as you grab this bag of money, you take this massive bump on the way down. I mean, it is it is just as bad as you getting speared off the ladder visually, uh, at least. And I don't want to say how it felt, but the crowd is just going absolutely insane here. A standing ovation for the new brood winning the tit. And that's where we end things. Jeff, how'd you come up with the finish for that? And uh, how much did that bump suck on the way down? Uh, yeah, actually, again, another time, you know, it, it didn't hurt until the adrenaline wore off. And I think I was thinking about Mick Foley, actually, from that famous Mick Foley, uh, you know, Mankind versus Undertaker, Hell in the Cell, that big choke slam through the top. I've always kind of been obsessed with that bump because it's yeah. probably, in my opinion, the, the most vicious bump that's ever been done in pro wrestling. I, I, I think it. I think that bumps had a hold on a lot of people in wrestling. You know, it was so impactful. I think it. I see what you're saying. I mean, it's always had a hold on me, too. I've always thought about it. Too. And I think the younger me subconsciously might have looked up a little bit. So, OK, it's only about I don't know, 10 more feet or something. Maybe I can be like Mick one day. You know, I mean, that's a, so let me get a feel for it. But uh, not really. I think I was just pumped up on adrenaline. The crowd was so amazing. The energy they provided us with that night. And uh, I didn't want to just stay there. I wanted to fall, you know, and like fall to my the end of the match and, and the win. So uh, and it all worked out. <laughs> Well, it's just crazy I, I, how anything can go wrong with these ladders, right? Like the ladders can fall at any moment's notice and ruin everything. It can take uh, this spot could have been killed uh, if and all the climax of it is gone if that ladder falls. Yeah, yeah. For sure. there, there's so much thinking about that final spot when we we're putting it together. We we built that uh, structure of like setting up the the ladders in a perpendicular fashion in Stanford when me you and Jay were going over it before we went yeah. to Cleveland. And uh, that's where the idea came. And I know you had the idea if, uh, you know, there, there was a push of the ladder, you could leapfrog. I think that's the word you used to describe Maybe it. So, yeah. I think you yeah. use it, use leapfrog. That was the term. He said, you know, if like this ladder gets pushed, I could leapfrog onto the other ladder and then pop the guy and then, and then, you know, procure I the, think you're right. Yeah. I know yeah, you're right. Yeah. Procure the deal. And one of the funniest things is we we're talking about the bump that I took out of the uh, this is going to be a fun little nugget I'm going to throw in here for all the people that are, you know, want to hear this podcast for nuggets. Whenever I took that bump out of the ring, as ever I twisted and whenever I hit, I hit pretty hard on the floor and like my lower back. I remember my lower back was like, you know, it hit hard. Obviously, it didn't hurt as adrenaline was rushing or whatever, and I was okay. But 
part of my mentality, whenever I sell, and I'm sure you do this as well, whenever I sell, like if something hurts, but it's not damaged or not really hurt, if you feel it for an instant and you realize like, oh, this was hurt, maybe this is what I can sell and I can portray it as. So I hit my lower back real hard and, you know, like almost like a tingle in my leg legs, but I was fine, whatever. Whenever I come back in to the ladder to climb up, you and Christian start first. I start coming up and you see me grab the uh, the ladder and start climbing with my upper body and my legs. I'm not using them in my mind. I was yeah. thinking, like, what if I just couldn't feel my legs? That's how I'm going to sell this. Right. And, and, and I'm going, ah, and it's I heard such that. A, okay. I'm it's so such glad an oversell. That that was not an accident. I'm so yeah. glad that was an accident because yeah. I'm watching this and yeah. I just hear Matt Hardy scream. And I'm like, did something just happen? And I'm so glad that that was on purpose. And I, I want to tell you what I'm channeling. I am channeling in my mind. As crazy as this is, right? This is how I translate it. Like I hit, I said, if I if my legs weren't working, let me act like someone who like, you know, just I'm in I'm in battle and my legs aren't working, so I have to pull myself up with my upper body. Uh, uh, and I'm really trying to pull myself up with my upper body and like yelling. And the yelling was an oversell. <laughs> I will <laughs> I will say that looking back, but that is totally where that came from. But just the fact that I came up later and whenever I pushed and then like bounced off the ropes to hit Jeff to knock that ladder down so he could leapfrog from that one from the ladder he was on to the one Adam was on boom. And when he popped in, the reaction was huge. And I swear, I think because the money bag was tough to get down to, right. You had some trouble getting it as you watch. It's like not yeah. coming out. They, they said it would be very easy to pull out whenever they did, but it wasn't just like really tugging on it and pulling hard. I'm sure in his mind, I know how he is too. He's a masochist in some ways where he's like, there's like, Oh my God, this is taking too long to pull down. He's like, I'm going to take a super big bump and nobody will even think that it, it was delayed coming out. You know, I'm sure I just, I know, I know that's how you think, you know, but that it's crazy how famous that fall became because that fall was utilized in video games from that point out. All right, listen, we're all adults here. And I know some of us choose to use nicotine to relax, focus, or maybe even just unwind after a long day. Well, I'm here to tell you that Lucy is a modern oral nicotine company that makes nicotine gum, lozenges, and pouches for adults who are looking for the best, most responsible way to consume their nicotine. It's a new year, 2020, right? Finally here. Well, why not start it out by switching to a new nicotine product that you can feel good about? Now, I've had many family members over the years who had struggles switching from cigarettes, and I wish they had a product like this that would have made the process so much easier with so much versatility and dynamics in terms of different flavors and options. So if you enjoy using nicotine, you should definitely check out Lucy's products at lucy.co. That's lucy.co and use promo code party at checkout. Also, I have to read this disclaimer, warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Remember, if you're interested in a better way to use nicotine, visit lucy.co. Be sure to use that promo code party. Let's take a time out here. And while we normally have a lot of fun on this show, this is a pretty serious topic. Life insurance, specifically Goliath life insurance. Let me give you a pro tip. We're all going to die. So before you get a visit from the undertaker, Think just for a second about what would happen if your family stopped having your income tomorrow with life insurance from GoliathLife.com. What we're really talking about is protecting what you've worked so hard to provide for both you and more importantly, your family. You see, life insurance isn't about you. It's about those who matter the most to you. Sure. You do a great job taking care of them now, but who would do that if something awful happened to you? 
I just lost two friends in the last year and a half, one 42 with two kids, the other 46 who left behind a wife and three kids. Thank God they had insurance. And Hey, I hear you. Nobody wants to think or talk about life insurance, but think about this. You might not get in a car accident, but you have auto insurance. You might not get sick, but you have health insurance. So we'll protect our car and we'll even protect ourselves from like crazy medical bills. But will we protect our family? That's what life insurance means to me. Peace of mind. Goliathlife.com streamlines the life insurance purchase process by allowing you to get quotes from more than 20 carriers all at the same time and at the same place. Goliathlife.com. You'll do a fast and easy application and have multiple quotes within minutes. And oh, by the way, Goliathlife.com has solutions for every budget. And maybe best of all, you pick your terms and payments at Goliathlife.com. Once you pick your price, you can start the online application immediately. And check this out. You can even schedule the medical exam to happen in your home. You don't even have to leave the house to do this. And yes, I have done this. They sent someone to my office. It was fast. It was easy. And it was unlike anything I expected. I got to skip the phone calls, the paperwork and the crazy invasive conversations, and even the multiple visits to the doctor's office that we all hate so much. Goliathlife.com makes buying life insurance simple. Goliathlife.com promises no hidden fees, no upsell, no hassle, hell, not even a phone call. Goliathlife.com is life insurance in your hands on your time. Get multiple quick quotes right now from the comfort of your own home and begin your application in a few easy clicks right now at goliathlife.com. And you guys win the Terry Invitational Tournament. You win the $100,000. You celebrate uh, with some champagne. Afterwards, uh, Jeff takes a sip. Matt just throws it everywhere. And um, I want to go. I want to make one point about this match watching for as exceptional as it was. And Matt, you and I kind of texted about it last night as we were going over the show. I understand that it was Jerry Lawler's shtick to be all obsessed with the women at this time, the puppies, all that fun stuff. That's what people associate. Jerry Lawler's a legend, all that. I mean, that has to be said. And we didn't even really talk about Terry that much here, but Terry's got a great reputation in the industry as well as just a good person. And, uh, you know, it was just so fascinating to me that as this historic match is clearly unfolding in front of us, Jerry just keeps going back to talking about Terry. And it's distracting for me as a viewer from what is happening, especially as Jim Ross, who's the goat, is sitting there telling you like this. I've never seen anything like this. This is amazing. Do you have any thoughts on that in watching things back? I was just going to say, I mean, I feel like the reason Jerry was put in that role, obviously, we talked about how the Attitude Era was much more entertainment driven, whatever. I, I feel like Jerry was there to be like a humor or, or comedic relief for like casual fans watching the show and, and say things like a creepy middle aged man would, you know, <laughs> in so many ways. Uh, did he did he overdo it? Uh, probably so, because I'd watched this a few times just to, you know, once again, jog my memory, and refresh my memory. So, yes, I, I do think he overdid it. I, I, I don't mind the fact that he did it some, but I feel like you, John, especially you are like the current pro wrestling fan and you understood it. And being younger at that time, you already had the mentality of like, no, these guys are busting their asses. They're working really hard. Let's treat this as serious. And, and I get that. And I, I'm sure there are a lot of fans that did. I would imagine most people who view the business super serious, guys who would write 
uh, you know, uh, newsletters. I'm sure they did as well. I'm sure it was too much for them. But the the current generation of fans, especially the AEW fan base, they take things a lot more serious. Sure. They're they're not looking for entertainment or like bullshit, you know, and I, I'm all about entertainment and bullshit. I did broken Matt Hardy, <laughs> you know, so, so I, I totally get that. It's a little bit of a, a, a different vibe, obviously, but I feel like that's why Jerry Lawler was there and he may have been produced to keep harping on Terry over and over, but just for the entertainment aspect and for casual fans to find it funny or humorous. Yeah. Well, six and a half year old, seven year old John Alba learned it the hard way when he asked his mother about <laughs> when he asked his mother about Poontang Pie because The Rock told him to. So that was uh, <laughs> that was not necessarily the best. But I want to go into Melter's review of the match. I'm not going to read the entire thing. Just some things that I picked up from it. Uh, second sentence immediately says it's a must see match because if any of these guys make it to the top, it'll be remembered as their first great match, which I just thought was super prophetic and really cool looking back in hindsight and i mean when you hear something like that that that's got to make you guys smile in some way right yeah i mean it 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 definitely does and the the few times i'd made uh the few times i've met dave Meltzer, uh, he's been great he's been really cool anytime i've ever, ever interacted with him and i know he is like regarded as the the leader in the industry as far as being someone who analyzes the business in a very serious fashion from all facets, from all faucets, from all aspects, you know, so, so the fact that, that, that Meltzer said that about us and he was truly right. And if you look at wrestling as it changed, especially just starting there, this was the, the building block, our tag team ladder match, which led to the tag team table match with the Dudleys, which ultimately led to the triple threat ladder match and the whole TLC craze. I mean, that whole genre of wrestling yeah. kind of, it made wrestling explode and, and it became a genre that was going to be a staple in wrestling forever. I mean, hell, I was in a ladder match, you know, a few months ago on AEW dynamite still jumped off a ladder and did a leg drop through the table, whatever, you know? So it's, it's like something that has majorly been established. You know, you had TNA, uh, which is now impact, you know, became a big deal and they were like running shows and uh, you know, competed with WWE. I mean, full metal mayhem, you know, once again, right. that all goes back, to our matches that we had at that tag team ladder match. Cause that's where, that's where, that's where that all started. Cause even, even if you look back, Sean and Razor, uh, HBK and Razor Ramon had an amazing match and they inspired, inspired generations of guys. But that match, if it was a standalone would never have triggered the business to turn into what it did. If it wasn't for the Hardys and edge and Christians match, because yeah. that was the, that, that is the true point that triggered the whole movement of like, ladder matches hardcore wrestling matches you know with tables ladders and chairs whatever a different variety and especially once the secret was out of the bag and kayfabe was out and in the open i feel like we needed different revenues to entertain people you know in, in this industry and and that became an amazing revenue where you can build a rivalry to this this big match and if you have two guys who are athletic enough to do it and you know they can do some cool stuff they can have a ladder match or they can have a tlc match and they can have a great blow off and it really raises the stakes and it's super fun to watch because now more than ever they truly are living breathing superheroes taking these chances that most human beings couldn't possibly do yeah well you said you're there's never been a ladder that you're afraid of that was our fact here and and there's just one more line i want to read from this and especially since jeff is here and he says jeff in parentheses, who, if his body holds up, will someday be a Shawn Michaels caliber performer 
leapfrogged over the standing ladder about seven and a half feet with the highest leg drop this side of Volnicano off the cage into Christian. I just thought that was such a cool little line there. And and Jeff, in, in hindsight, did, did you ever get that kind of vibe that people viewed you in that way as someone who could be a Shawn Michaels caliber performer down the line? Totally. I think so, because I've always said since I was like crazy young, since the Shawn Michaels Razor Ramon ladder match, which inspired us tremendously, influenced mm-hmm. us like to do those Willow versus Surge matches at the fairgrounds, at the armories, wherever. Uh, but yeah, I've heard that a lot, but I've also said it more that uh, who's your favorite wrestler, Jeff? HBK. He can do everything, a little bit of everything. And so I kind of like to think I can do a little bit of everything, but that's not true. I think I'm more of a stunt man instead of a pro wrestler. <laughs> I'm more of a moment guy instead of a storyteller. Um, but man, what a huge compliment that young Jeff Hardy. Uh, I mean, if I would have heard that back then, I would have been over the moon probably, but hearing it now, 20 years later, it's like, oh, wow, I really don't care. But, uh, it, oh my God. So, so it, special. So something when you say that, John, that really stands out to me is like, Sean was amazing when he would sell. And I felt like that's where a lot of the money and equity was in Sean, whenever he would sell and the way he would sell things and the way he could take bumps that were so unique, so crisp, so good. Jeff had that same, same vibe, you know, yeah. whenever, whenever he would sell the way he would bump, they were so unique and so crisp and so special. I mean, and I know he would say that a lot that he shines when he sells, you know, and he, he really gets it. There's, there's some guys you have just as baby faces who you really want to try and have the heel beat them up throughout the match. So you really wait to see that baby face do their stuff at the end of the match to get their shit in or whatever. And, and just one of those guys as well, he is so entertaining and compelling, whatever he sells, one of the best sellers ever and very much in line with like an HBK. Well, and I say this all the time, pro wrestling is at its best when you feel with the performer. And I always, always part of me getting emotional. Talk about this. I always felt like I, I, I felt with both of you, but especially Jeff. Yeah, and especially that first spot that really kicked the ladder match off, this first ever uh, tag team ladder match, when Christian drop kicked me off that incline ladder. And I, I've hurt my neck more than any other wrestlers hurt my neck, just from the whiplash wow. reaction to a move. It makes it look so good. So just that, that such, such a quick whiplash makes it look so good. And then one quick thing I wanted to say before I forget it, uh, during that match too, there was one really incredible moment to when one of the spreaders got bent. Yeah. Yeah, not, hin- not hinge hinges, but a spreader. Yes, I, I, I looked up that terminology today. We always called the 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 uh, spreaders between the ladders hinges, and I actually googled it and looked it up today. It's called a spreader, officially. But th- there's a moment in that match where Jeff is uh, put in between the ladder, and they are doing like the ten count of closing the ladders on him, and that was an idea that we came up with in Stanford as well. I remember, wow. but we needed that ladder later in the match to be set up so that we could both go off of it and bump and whatnot. And while he was laying in this ladder, he was fixing the spreader. I'll let you tell that story. Yeah, I think I, th- I want to say, Jay said it, it's broke. We can't use it. We need another one. Said, no, I'll fix it. <laughs> and you can see me trying to bend that thing, which is really tough, but I finally got it to where it was usable to do the spot. But uh, yeah, I said, no, don't, no worries. I'll fix it. <laughs> and, and there, it really- there wasn't enough forward thinking at the time that you would need other ladders potentially. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there, there, there were, there were other ladders outside, but I feel like it would have hurt our flow sure. and our storytelling. And and once again, I said in the beginning, the psychology of this match is to like, people know there's four guys, they have a ladder match and this is an athletic contest. And to win, you have to climb up and pull down, you know, the money bag, you know, that has a hundred thousand dollars in it. You know, the, 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 the fact that 
that it's such an outlandish concept and we really want to suspend everyone's disbelief so that they never, if, if they ever get caught in that moment of like, oh my God, this is so good. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. We want to keep that continuity alive. And we feel like if like something happened, then all of a sudden somebody has to go out and bring in another ladder and it's not used or whatever, it could like damage the continuity and the suspension of disbelief. So Jason, oh my God, it's it's broken because you could see like the, the spreader was like way out and bent and the ladder wasn't going to stop. And I remember Jeff, just, I could hear him too. I, I could hear, I, I could hear your audio. You said, I'll fix it. I'll fix it. <laughs> you can hear that aggressive. And you can see him bending. They actually, in one, I, I think it was the TLC. They highlighted it. Yeah, it, yeah, I think it was the TLC DVD VHS they put out. Yes. Remember when there were VHS tapes? Yes. You might not have ever known. I, no, I do. I, I'm, I'm, still, I'm still a child of the early nineties. I, I had VHSs. And, and uh, they highlight, you can see Jeff in the back and it's so crazy. He's going, mm, mm, mm. <laughs> Just like using all his strength to That's like amazing. bend the spreader back straight. So the ladder will erect once again. There that is amazing. Now we, we did hear you talk about before you said Austin gave you guys your first beer. McFoley thought you guys killed it. What was your first reaction? The four of you coming through the current, because you guys had to book it to Terry. You had to do the champagne celebration, all that. And then once they come through the, the curtain and you guys have a moment together in that hallway, what is the reaction amongst yourselves? We, we know, we know it was special, especially with the way the crowd reacted. And, and I feel like whenever we came back through, when the, those guys came back, I feel like we had a little bit of a standing ovation backstage too. There were people that clapped for us. There were, there were times I know after, the triple threat ladder match and the TLC match where we'd come back through gorilla and there'd be a, like a standing ovation. And everybody'd be like, Oh my God, that was great. That was great. But there was a, a small amount of the audience that knew we took a huge step in becoming bigger stars in that match. And we had a little bit of, of an ovation. When we came back and I remember thinking like, Oh my God, this was, this was a really, a really good match. I'm so excited to watch it back. I hate that I fucking slipped underneath the rope and, and I uh, hit my nose, you know, jam my neck, right? Did I jimmy myself as Christian calls it, you know, I jimmy my neck at the very beginning of the match. I said, but besides that, I was super happy with everything. It was practically perfect. Uh, and, and I feel like all four of us felt that way uh, speaking for myself, but how did you feel, Jeff? I felt, yeah, the same way. Ditto, ditto yeah. brother. Uh, <laughs> one other like really amazing thing is my wife was at UNC Chapel Hill at the time and she was at a bar and she was watching that match with the, with the people going crazy. These college kids watching WWE in a bar at UNC and it was crazy that you know oh my god now we have two daughters it's just amazing and how things work oh. out in the end but yeah I totally felt the same thing you felt and it is I talking to talking to to Adam talking to Edge today uh he said Johnny Gargano was there live and he was heavily influenced by that match he was there live in the venue watching it I know I know you know that's obviously the young bucks are big fans of that match you know there's so many guys that are in the business currently they go oh my god that match was so inspirational to us and motivated us to do so many things like we want to be wrestlers like that you know from watching the hardys versus edge and christian and i, I think that is so poetic considering yeah. we were so inspired by you know the, the hbk razor ramon match that now we have inspired a, a generation and we up the annies a little bit because on top of the ladder match there ended up being more obviously but this was the the foundation of what became the toc craze and i'm glad that that you said that there's the modern influence there that these guys came up to you and had a chance to say these things to you. It's a big part of what this podcast is going to be. And as we go on yeah. through the weeks here, we're going to talk a lot more about influence and all that, but there's just a couple more things that I want to hit on in regards to this. What did Vince McMahon and Michael Hayes in particular have to say to you guys after this match? 
my Michael came back through and gave us hugs. I do remember he was like super proud of us because he was almost there was times and because he was our mentor. And when we first got used and we first had a legitimate chance to like be looked at as wrestling superstars, Michael Hayes mentored us and he taught us more than anyone else ever has. We both owe Michael Hayes so much. And uh, we often refer to him as our, as our wrestling daddy, you know, you know, and he still would go by the term, but he, he hugged us. He named, he, he, he names, whenever you see us do names, that all is for Michael Hayes. Uh, he hit us with all that and he told us how proud he was of us. You know, you guys went out and you killed it. As far as Vince, I know Vince did like the match. I don't remember his instantaneous reaction. You know, I'm sure he was running the pay-per-view, but I, I know later as time went on, he, he, he did love the match and he was very appreciative and, and complimented us on it. Well, that match made him millions and millions of dollars going forward with the invention of TLC and everything from that. But since we're talking in McMahon, since we're talking money, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring this point up. This is also the night that Jeff Jarrett leaves WWF <laughs> and the alleged holdup that if you go listen to my world, sounds a little different than the fable runs. But Matt, you told me off air that you did have a little bit of an interaction with Jeff, especially after he just came back through the current, had all the flower over him from his good housekeeping match with China. Yeah, we were uh, we were after Jeff on the card, and I remember Jeff Jarrett coming back, which he was he was always great with us. Then we had a lot of tag matches with him and Owen, had a lot of fun. They were always very very giving to us, and I'll never forget how he showed up late that day in just his gear. All his shit was in his car. He was in his gear, pulled up. He talked to Joni for uh, a bit of time, put together the match, literally went out and did it, and then came back through. And as he came back through, he walked back as we were kind of going over last minute preparations and going over the game plan for a match. He said, all right, boys, you guys kill it. Have a good one. Be safe out there. He said, we'll see you down the road. And I remember he pulled his bags out, you know, but he was just so happy, so jovial in his gear, has all the, you know, uh, all the shrapnel from the, the good housekeeping match on him and uh, and walks through just happy as he could be. You know, he uh, he uh, had, had got his payday, whatever, and he was headed out to to the next step, which ended up being WCW for him. But yeah, he, he was super cool, super friendly, super supportive. I was going to say, if if rumor has it true, and, and Jeff's lying to us on my world, he escaped with a good $4 million over his shoulder. And maybe they used some of that money that you grabbed from the top of the ceiling there, Jeff, and, and, and shoveled it off to Jeff Jarrett. It should have been gold coins. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think they did use some of that money because they were actually in that bag. Do you remember inside that bag? It was yeah. a bunch of like pieces of paper, like yeah, cut up like up. money. It was, there, there was like, so it would, I, I guess, have like the, the substance, you know, it would almost have the, mm. the feel of like money. There was a whole bunch of paper, like cut up in the shape of, you know, hundred dollar bills, supposedly thousand, you know, sure. million dollar bills cut up in that bag, you know? So that's what was in that bag, actually a whole bunch of paper. Yeah, it, 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 it was like super light. It should have weighed more is why I said gold coins. Yeah. Right. 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 Better. Or rocks. <laughs> Well, the next night on Raw is just about as memorable as the match because it's the first time we ever see a segment like this on WWE TV where the two teams from this match come out. You guys had just had this huge blow off to a tournament where you've been fighting each other for a month. And instead of your typical sneak attack or anything like that, there's a handshake of mutual respect. And it's a standing ovation. Maybe it's a little of a McFoley cheap pop setting things up for a standing ovation, but it happens. You get it. And Gangrel comes down and Gangrel said that he was the only one who scored the previous night. And 
make of that what you will. All four of you guys jump in. You are no longer the new brood. You are the Hardy Boys, and you do retain Terry's services for a little bit. What do you think about that segment in hindsight? Because that kind of broke down the walls of kayfabe a little bit and, and added a new dimension to all this. Uh, I think they were very smart. And I would imagine this is a Vince call. Vince read the room correctly uh, following that match. And it's the new era of wrestling where fans were starting to dictate what they enjoyed more and they were going to start dictating who gets over courtesy of their work rate because like there are always times where WWE would kind of push someone and they they would force or manufacture some sort of superstar on the fans and sometimes they would buy into it but we're getting at that period where enough people understand wrestling that they can't really manufacture a superstar it has to happen organically so that's what happened that night. You know, I think Vince knew that myself and my brother and edge and Christian, were going to be extremely respected. People dug our work ethic and we did something. We did some groundbreaking stuff that night before. So he did that call to like shake hands and like have a, a mutual respect for one another. We were a mutual admiration society. And, and I think that was the correct call. And uh, going forward, I, I actually pitched initially well, this is another podcast as well, but like my idea was to have us together as a group and work against DX. And I wanted the, our group to be version one of the Hardys and Edge and Christian. And that's initially where I came up with the version one concept. And we were like the version one of the prototypes of wrestlers that you're going to see in the future. The, these guys, after what we did in that, in that match, that not that didn't end up happening. What ended up happening, obviously, as you know, Edge and Christian would turn heel and we would continue our feud and go on to TLCs and whatnot. But I think as far as that night goes, as far as having that mutual respect, I think that was the right call. And there's a look on my face if you watch that segment back where you see my eyes come up and they're like open and wide. And it really was. I was overwhelmed that the crowd gave us that big of a standing ovation the night after 24 hours after our match. It, it was I, I was emotional. And that, that look you see wasn't me working or manufacturing. It was like, really? Like, oh, my God, I can't believe this. Like, I can't believe these people are really applauding us to this level and so appreciative of our hard work and us busting our ass for them the night before. Jeff, you're 21 years old at the time. I can't even imagine how overwhelming this must have been for you. Not just this segment, but this entire 48-hour, if you include Stanford, 72-hour experience that you guys all had together. Yeah, every time I hear the word, I think I was writing a song a while back and I used the word ovation or almost used the word ovation. But then anytime I hear the word ovation, I think of that moment. And I think I was wearing a red fishnet shirt with my trouser socks, white and black cut up, and I'm we're hearing this reaction from what we did the night before and the pain temporarily went away from the night before from their energy. And I'm like, man, I look cool. We are so cool right now. This is all going to work out. It's going to be great. It's just, I can't thank the WWE universe, enough, the pro wrestling universe enough yeah. just for the support over the years for what we have done and been yeah. able to do because of them pretty much. They've supported us all along, man. Yeah. And I, oh my God. I'm so grateful. And it's, it's, it's crazy looking back at everything at that moment. Like, both of us, we were two kids, as you, some of you can tell from the connection on this podcast, uh, from the middle of nowhere, North Carolina in Cameron. <laughs> and we had no connections in the industry. We had no idea how to get started in this, how to do anything. And things worked out where we got to, to WWE just as enhancement talent. And even as enhancement talent, we were still confident if we bust our ass and we work hard enough, we would catch someone's eye and get an opportunity. And for years, people told us that's not going to happen. You know, you're, you're just going to be known as, as job guys for the rest of your career, but we believed otherwise. And, and I've always said this, one of my mottos in life is like in, in, 
you know, if, if you stay positive, you stay optimistic, you'll find in optimism, there is magic. And, and I really believe there is, there's, there's a lot of believing to believe to achieve. And, and we've been so lucky to do that. And on top of that, we've been doing this for almost 30 years and it really wouldn't be if it wasn't for like the fans out there, the people who have reacted and, and given us love. So we're, we're both huge wrestling fans at heart. And I feel like we have a very special relationship with our wrestling fans. And, and that's also one of the reasons we have been as successful and we've been so supported, so supportive over the years from all the wrestling fans. In the future of this podcast, we're going to spend a lot more time talking about the impact on wrestling today on what these matches have. But you have hit on a lot of that throughout this episode. That's not that's why I don't want to harper on it too much, especially since we got Jeff here. But there is one thing that I do want to ask both of you in connection to wrestling today. This match set the table for every single hardcore match that we would see in WWE for years to come. And since it was in WWE, that has a trickle down effect on happening in every other promotion. And that's not to say deathmatch wrestling or hardcore wrestling didn't exist anywhere before. Of course it did. But on this stage, it's a game changer. Is it wrong to romanticize this car crash style of wrestling when you look at the real life ramifications that it had on both of your bodies and other people? I've gotten to know Devon over the years, and I know how much of an effect it had on his body. And we saw with Edge with, with his surgery and Christian with the concussions. Is it wrong to romanticize it? Or was it necessary for this story of pro wrestling that we have all invested in over the last 30 years? I mean, I feel like my honest opinion is obviously it is a, a risky genre of pro wrestling and you're taking a lot of chances. And at the end of the day, it's really easy to forget that pro wrestlers are human beings, but we are, we're human beings. We're made of flesh and bone and blood like everybody else is. But I feel like from an entertainment aspect, these matches are heavily entertaining. They are heavily fun to watch. And you can understand why people who perform these type matches, you know, have these cult followings and people really enjoy it as far as you say, romanticizing it. Is the risk worth the rewards or the consequences, so to say? I mean, in, in my opinion, as I've gotten older, I would say you just have to be responsible all the way throughout. I don't, I don't mind this genre of wrestling, but I think you have to know what you're in for. I think it's very hard if you don't have good self-control and self-discipline. Uh, these matches are going to hurt. There's going to be injuries. You have to take smart, calculated risk. Uh, I, I don't have a problem with romanticizing these matches and these concepts, but I think if you're a performer in there, you need to understand what you're getting into. And that's also one of the tools I think I could offer guys going forward in the future about understanding what you're getting into and like also the the the, the traps and the vices that could come out of it if, if if you're not careful you know so i i think if you're in these matches you have to be smart and you have to be responsible and you have to take very calculated risk that would be my answer to that question you have anything to add to it yeah well i'm not sure where i'm going with this but i've always said uh tlc matches are the x games of pro wrestling and i don't know if y'all know this but josh sheenan just pulled off a quadruple flip on a dirt bike. He did three flips after Travis Pastrana set the record with two flips, but it just, it blew me away. I can't believe it. I've watched it a million times, but that makes me go, wait, I can do that swan on off of an actual 20 foot ladder and survive it. It might hurt for a while, but you know, that's just the way I think, but I, I romanticize it all the time. I'm still in love with it. I think I, I know I love those matches more than I love a regular wrestling match because it feels like the X games of pro yeah. wrestling to me. And, and I love that. Me, me too. I, I'll confess that as well. I, I would rather be in like uh, a, a gimmick match where there are other tools to play with than, than like a regular match. 
And you can't always do that. I understand that, you know, because you have to, you have to build stories. There has to be a psychology behind it. But like at the end of the day, like I enjoy those matches more. And especially as I get older and our bodies tighten up and they're full of scar tissue and, and whatever, if I'm doing this as an active performer, I love being in matches that I feel like I will excel in, in better. And I do excel in those matches better. And I actually, I have to kind of say this too. The last ladder match I was in, you know, I wasn't going to do anything completely crazy, but man, has a ladder ever been attached to somebody's earlobe? <laughs> now it has. <laughs> you got it. Well, I was going to say, Jeff, and and I don't, I don't think I need to ask this now because you said it earlier that you view yourself as a stuntman almost more than just a straight up pro wrestler. And I was going to say, is there a concern about cornering yourself as a niche wrestler when you're excelling in matches like this but obviously with the success levels that both of you achieved you were both able to break those barriers and i'm so glad matt that you gave those words of advice because on a podcast like this you're going to have fans traditional fans listening but there are going to be a lot of workers listening to this too not just today's generation but future workers and and future performers. And I think those were all words that people can take to heart in terms of how to be safe in doing matches like this. Yeah, I I, I do think it's important. I mean, in, in pro wrestling, like bottom line is our bodies, my body, my brother's body, your body, John, built out of flesh and bone and blood is not meant to be slammed on wood and steel multiple continuous times throughout nights for four nights a week, five nights a week, 10 nights a week. And it is not meant to like fall off 10 feet ladders. It is not meant to go through tables over. So, so these are all risks you're taking. You, you can do some of these things and be somewhat safe, especially if they're calculated risk. But at the end of the day, you have to remember if you're doing things that are dangerous, it's a slippery slope. When you talk about addressing that, if you do get injured or if you do get hurt and you, you really have to take care of yourself. And that's one thing I can say from wrestling as far as physically, as far as being fit and being healthy. Now, after going through ups and downs, I will always take care of myself because I want to be able to play with my kids forever. And I want to be as active as possible. And, and I do. When, when you look at people that are healthy at 47 years old, it's going to be harder to find someone that is more healthy than I am. With that being said, but like to anyone out there who is wanting to do these styles of match or, or take these type of chances, just know that, that please take care of yourself, put your health uh, first, make that a priority. And if you are going to do things like this, just be smart about it, make calculated risks. Cause even if you do calculate risks, they're not always going to turn out right. I, speaking from experience, I can say that as well. There's been things I've done that have went wrong and I've got hurt and injured and it is going to happen. That is, that is, that is part of this game. That's part of being a pro wrestler, but I do, I advise everyone to try and be as smart as you can possibly be. Just don't, don't go out there and take a uh, unnecessary dumb risk. Yeah. My first couple bumps as a manager took place on a glorified boxing ring that we referred to as old Bessie. And I took two of those. And I was like, I don't, I don't know how these people can do it. I, I just don't know. And that was two bumps and I, I don't know how you guys did it, but I, I do know that we got a lot of questions to wrap this thing up and we're going to try to get a few of them in here. Are you ready to hashtag ask Matt, Matt? Sure. Matt, Matt. Let's do it. Okay, let's do it. Brandon Warren says, uh, what were your nerves like for the first time you did a match like this? And how did they evolve with each subsequent time? I have to imagine for both of you, it was probably easier since you both had done the ladder matches on the indie scene. But for Edge and Christian, it, I, there's spink there must have been twitching like a rabbit's nose. I can't even imagine. <laughs> uh I mean, I think they evolved. We just became more familiar with the concept. I mean, they were two obviously young, 
athletic, healthy guys. And they were also, they creatively thought very similar to the way we thought. We were all in the same wavelength when it came to that. So I feel like the matches evolved going forward. Uh, they got better. They, they became more psychologically strong, especially the TLC concepts. Like so many people speak of the WrestleMania 2000 match, uh, the triple threat ladder match with so much reverence. And looking back at that match, to me, the psychology in that match, there were several things in there that I look back and go, ooh, I wish it could have been a little different. Like the TLC2 that happened at WrestleMania the following year was so much stronger of a story and so much stronger psychologically as far as the way we were telling the story and things we were doing. I think we just became more efficient. I think we became smarter. And we, we, we definitely understood the concept of what we we're going for is like, everyone should always try and win the championship. The goal of this match is to take down whatever we're all trying to get and try and procure it. Like if you ever avoid doing that, then you're, you're, you're breaking the psychology and, and you might, you might hurt the suspension of disbelief. Uh, AJ Kirsch says at the time in your career, did you have a pre-match ritual or something you guys would do to yourself the moment before stepping through the current? If so, what was it? And did it change prior to this match, knowing how important it could be for all of your careers? Do either of you guys have a pre-match ritual that you did? I got to be honest. The, the <clears throat> only pre-match ritual I do, if I'm wearing pants, Hardy Boy style pants, which now still I have pants with pockets in it, is uh, take my hair out of a hair tie and uh, put it in my middle right pocket. That is like my ritual. And I've done that ever since day one. <laughs> so only a couple of times throughout the years, my hair tie has been lost, but you know, just especially now I try and stretch a little bit back, back then I didn't have like a major ritual that I did every time you, you may, you're, I do. Yeah. It, it's evolved over the years, but uh, still back then there's a, there's a repetitive prayer I always do before any big match and it's worked out so far. I'm going to keep repeating it over and over again. Rajiv S at what point in this match did you say to yourself, Oh yeah, we got something special going on here. Based on this conversation, it sounds like it might have been the leapfrog spot. Was that it? For me, yeah, for me. Yeah, yeah and I, I, I definitely knew whenever Christian did the drop kick, when he was pinned in the corner, and we started getting the reaction constantly after every big high spot. Uh, and that's kind of how we had it structured, and that's what we hoped to, to, to have out of the, that's the reaction we hope to have out of each one of those moments. And I was like, oh man, we're on to something good. You know, unless something gets like, majorly messed up unless something breaks or somebody gets injured or hurt like we we've got something special here and and it was definitely reinforced whenever you leapfrogged over the ladder and used it to catapult you know into the leg drop because that that was that was a magical moment in that in that match nate pruderbaugh asks did you feel at the time moving on to terry reynolds was the right move for the hardys or did you feel like there was more to offer with the new brood also how did gangrel react to the splitting of the group to the best of my knowledge, I remember Gangrel was a little, he was sad. I think that we were beating him up whenever we shook hands and had the mutual show of respect, because I think he liked being with one of the teams. He fit good, but I think he was, you know, okay to go on his own. I do know like Edge and Christian didn't think they fit with Terry at all. So I think they were okay not being with Terry. And I'm pretty sure we were just like down for whatever. So we're like, sure, you're going to give us Terry. Cool. We'll make the most out of it. We'll figure out how we can make it work. And it really was, we were very different personalities. I don't know, like, you know, it's not like we really fit together or went together at all, but like we did what we could to, to, to make it work. And I remember Terry was like really 
actively trying to come up with spots or ideas where it seemed like we were much more of a unit, which I appreciated, appreciated from her end. Well, I think it's interesting because the idea of pairing you guys with Terry says to me, in theory, they need Terry to help accentuate their positives. And pro wrestling is about accentuating positives, hiding the negatives. But because of the performance in this match, you guys didn't need a manager. You kind of did away with that need. Yeah, I mean, it was we were still and looking back in hindsight, uh, Edge and Christian were definitely the better speakers at that time. And that is why ultimately they ended up winning at uh, WrestleMania 2000. I think initially the idea was for us to win and like a big blow off of the match. But they had turned heel and they, they were starting to get over and their their personalities were so good and so strong. And I remember when they had talked about us winning, it wasn't definite or set. But I think that was the initial the original plan. And then they changed and said, well, we'll just do it in SummerSlam in Raleigh. Remember that? Oh, yeah. Because that's where the first TLC was going to be. It'll be in Raleigh, North Carolina. And then I remember Vince <laughs> told us, he said, everybody in this building is going to know you guys are going to win. It's just too obvious. We can't do it. And, and looking back, I was like, that's the reason we should do it. <laughs> they actually want this win. And that, that's one of the more frustrating things. I really wish we would have got that win in Raleigh. And then he just said, well, we'll do it at the next pay-per-view, which ended up being unforgiven in the cage match. But like uh, the, the whole thing with Terry, and, and it, she wasn't really a speaker horse anyway. She It's not like she actually spoke a lot while we were there. She was just kind of almost like, you know, just like a eye candy, more or less to the team, I, I felt like, and someone who was representing yep. us as the manager. And I feel like she was almost a means to the end as far as establishing the Terry Invitational Tournament. So that's kind of how she was she was tied along to it. I really don't think myself or Jeff or Edge and Christian really needed her in, in, in hindsight, but she was really – she 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 really did want to work and she wanted to be part of the unit, which I appreciate. I remember she had that idea over and over where some hills jumped her and she gigged. Do you remember yeah. that? And we came to her defense. She wanted wow. to do that. Good which, you know, they 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 weren't gonna have any any of, especially yeah. in that day and age, the way they looked at yeah. women or divas. And then there was also a point where she wanted to do something where I got taken out and she was able to jump in and Jeff, maybe jump off her back. <laughs> you know, I don't even know if she could have supported her, but she, she did have ideas and she wanted to try and make us feel like more of a cohesive unit, which I appreciate. Yes. And uh, Jeff real quick here, because we talked about it before, but you are a big music guy yourself. I anticipate that you agree as well, that the original brood theme is an all time banger as far as wrestling theme music, correct? Oh man. I, I popped like a little kid when uh, edge came out at, this past SummerSlam, with that first little bit of the brood entrance with the fire man mm. i've never felt so cool until that Incredible. when we came up on that elevator through that fire i felt so cool and i think well, yeah. moving to like but i think terry gave us a little bit of an edge especially with like the young college Jews. oh man they're the they're the they're the shit man oh, yeah. you know, they, that lady is hot man you know all that kind of, all that kind of stuff um so yeah it's it's all been amazing I love it. And our last question comes from George McGappin. Uh, lighthearted question, but always kind of made me laugh. Did it ever bother you and Jeff that at the end of the match, in one of the most iconic early moments of your <laughs> WWE careers, JR called Jeff Matt by accident twice? And it's so funny because, I mean, Jim Ross is the voice of wrestling in every way possible. And you go back and you watch these TLC matches, these ladder matches, because the action is so fast paced. And I'm guilty of this as a broadcaster, too. I've done this especially when guys look similar like you do, it's easy to not realize who is who. And in that moment, I guess he didn't realize that it was Jeff up there and not Matt. And, and, and I will also tell you something that, that, that was tough for us as well, because we were always called the Hardy boys, the Hardy boys. I think it was beneficial into their 
to their advantage that Edge and Christian never had a team name. They were always Edge and Christian. So you get used to seeing their names over and over. And I think you establish Edge is this guy. Christian is this guy. With us, they were just always the Hardy Boys, the Hardy Boys, the Hardys, the Hardy Boys, the Hardy Brothers, the Hardy Boys, the Hardy Brothers. And you heard that over and over. And I feel like even Jim, you know, made that mistake. And May, may, maybe it was frustrating. I, looking back in hindsight, it doesn't seem like a big deal at all. No, because I know there's times when we get so used to that because we were known as the Hardy Boys for so long before we both really became established as singles competitors. And like, we're still out and still to this day, there'll be times where, you know, I'll get out of the car and go, oh my God, Jeff Hardy. And I go, hey, what's going on, man? How you doing? And I just keep walking like it's, you know, <laughs> nobody's business. And I'm sure same with him, you know, it, it, <laughs> I'll, I'll respond to Matt or Jeff. If you call me Matt or Jeff in public, I'm just going to wave and keep going about my merry business, you know, yeah, and it, it, it's okay. It didn't bother me then. It doesn't bother me now. Just yesterday at Food Line, I walked <laughs> by this nice looking redneck dude shopping. You know, I said, hey, brother, what's going on? Like I do every human being. Matt. <laughs> and it's been a long time brother <laughs> we used to lift weights at fast fitness oh. i said oh yeah i never, I, never I, I don't either I said, oh yeah that's right man well, hey, yeah. happy new year brother yeah yeah and i kept on going i went to the bathroom came out matt damn it's good to see you again brother can i get an <laughs> autograph from my daughter and so i said of course man Jeff Hardy, right? Yeah. <laughs> there you go i never said a word yeah and he <laughs> never said a word either so same it's awesome thing. Same thing here too, man. <laughs> That's I'll do incredible. It all the time. I mean, oh man. There's times where I'll be out and go, "What damn Jeff Hardy? I love when you do that swan tongue bomb." You're Good like, luck. you're like, man. Appreciate yeah, I'm waiting, it. I'm waiting for somebody to say, "Jeff, when are you gonna get some tattoos, man?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, well, I guess, Matt, if anyone calls you Rebby, then, you know, you got an issue. But I think until uh, <laughs> you're, you're Jeff, that's good. Listen, oh, yeah. Jim Ross yeah. is one of the most prepared broadcasters I've ever listened to. And I hate when people get on other broadcasters for making such a small and this annoys me as a broadcaster. It annoys me so much when uh, people get on for a small little hiccup like that, I, as if anyone's never messed up in their lives. And if you're left thinking at the end of this match about a name mix up versus the match that you just saw, you right. might need to reevaluate how you watch pro wrestling. So, um, but we do appreciate all the questions. We're going to do this every single week. Hashtag ask Matt. And I, I guess my last question to you guys here. And, and I apologize that this episode's gone on a little long, but I think this is fantastic that we've had Jeff here. Uh, the legacy of this match, Matt, you and I talked about it at the beginning, but after going back and revisiting it, uh, was this the definitive match of the Hardy Boys career? This was definitely the match that uh, made the Hardy Boys, without a doubt. There's been a lot of noteworthy matches that uh, we had as a tag team, but th this was the establishing match for sure that uh, led to the Hardy boys becoming, you know, one of the greatest tag teams in all of pro wrestling history. Uh, we, without this match, the Hardy boys and edge and Christian, both their futures look very, very different. And also without this match it, uh a lot of things don't happen in pro wrestling the way it did. That's incredible. And, and Jeff, you know, it's so insane to see how your legacy has carried on. I was at survivor series this year and the reaction you got there was unreal loud in person. I texted Matt actually when it yeah. happened. I said, I said, this, this is incredible to see this kind of reaction for Jeff at this point. And I know there's a lot of questions going on everywhere out there. And I'm just so happy that you're here. Is there anything you'd like to say to everyone who's listening out there right now, who've had you in their thoughts these past few months? 
Yeah, as far as the double team, uh, the first ever tag team ladder match, it definitely changed our lives. You know, mm -hmm. it changed our careers as well, but more importantly, our lives, you know, as human beings and now with families. Um, but yeah, no, I'm good. I'm super excited about the future. My music is going, my music shows are going extremely well. Going to be in North and South Dakota this month and also the middle of America, Omaha and Lincoln, Nebraska. <laughs> so looking forward to that. The, the turnouts have been amazing. And it's just, it, it's so crazy to hear how many people have been like, influenced and inspired by the hardy boys and i'm just so blessed to be here today still alive and well and excited about the future man being a great husband a great dad a great brother a great human being all around and also a great stuntman which acts as a pro wrestler <laughs> so yeah i am good i feel as healthy as ever and i'm so excited about the future well, I'm so happy to hear that. And we're so grateful. Matt and I are both so grateful that you lent yes. uh, obsolete as the theme song for this podcast. And dude, I've always thought this was such a jam and it didn't get its due recognition and impact. And I am so glad that every single week that people listen to the extreme life of Matt Hardy, they're going to get to hear that song. So thank you very much on behalf of Matt for lending that to us. We really appreciate it, man. Oh, I love it. Thanks for using it. Of course. Absolutely. Now, Matt, this has been a lot of fun. And again, we apologize for some of the technical difficulties. We're going to get it sorted out going forward. But this has been such a blast. And this is just episode one. We roll on to next week and we were coming up with ideas for what we can talk about. And I didn't want to come across as lying when I said that we were going to bridge the past to the present. Yes. So let's talk about the present. And next week, we're going to dive into Hangman Adam Page the current, as we tape this, AEW World Heavyweight Champion and a man that you played a pretty instrumental role into helping get his momentum going on to eventually defeating Kenny Omega to win the belt. How much are you looking forward to that? Uh, I'm very excited about that. I'm very excited to talk about Adam Page, who's a fellow North Carolinian right now, and also someone who we saw early on in his career had a lot of potential and actually was on some of the, whenever... Omega had a small rebirth when the hurricane Shane Helms was running it. Uh, he competed on a couple of those shows. So yeah, I'm very excited to delve into that and talk about my, uh, my time spent with Adam page with the hangman and talk cowboy shit here on the extreme life of Matt Hardy. I am so excited for that. And again, if you haven't subscribed to the extreme life of Matt Hardy, you can get it anywhere. You find your podcasts. We here at the podcast heat network are so, so excited for this project. And of course, Matt Hardy brand on YouTube as well. You'll be able to get the video form of this and Jeff, listen, man, you have an open invite. As far as I'm concerned, whenever you want to hop on the extreme life of Matt Hardy, we appreciate it because I was I was telling Matt this, you know, this is Matt's story, but you are so ingrained in his history that all of these things we talk about runs through you as well. So we are so yeah. appreciative of that. And I'm so glad to hear you're doing well, man. And I hope you had a great holiday season. Yeah, for sure. I can't wait to be back after April. Yeah. I'll just yeah. say that yeah. mysteriously. Yeah. <laughs> after, yeah. I didn't get enough messages uh, these past three weeks or so as we were teasing all this <laughs> stuff about uh, the speculation of what extreme was, but we hope that this episode has been extreme. Matt, anything else you'd like to add here as we wrap things up on episode one? Uh, once again, uh, thank you to everyone who took the time to check us out and uh, uh, catch our debut episode. Uh, I'm very happy that you were willing to spend time and listen to this and, and hear about my story. And one thing I can promise you, I'm going to be as upfront and as honest and as transparent as I can as I can possibly be. And I want to try and do different and fun stuff as far as podcasts go and, and, and continue to try and change the game and, and really bridge the gap between the past and, and the present. 
you know, and next week's going to be a great episode as we talk about something that is very present, that is popular right now in pop culture, Hangman Adam Page. So thank you all for hanging with us, especially we had a few uh, issues during this episode. Uh, that happens at the Hardy Compound. This is a, <laughs> a, a very strange place. So it does happen. But thank you, guys. We're going to continue to to work hard to improve for each and every one of you and make this experience better and fun and also hopefully educational. And at the end of the day, I hope to motivate and inspire you because I feel like that is something that I uh, I like doing. I feel like that's me giving back to humanity because a lot of people have done a lot of good stuff to help me. And I feel like if I can give back, then I'm doing my part. Well, Matt, as I've told you off screen here and in any of the articles about this, I can't tell you how personally this project is is important to me. And uh, both of you guys, I'm so happy you're here, Jeff, because I can tell you this too. You guys were so instrumental to my growth as a wrestling fan and where everyone else loved Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock. I was rocking the purple and the neon green, want to jump off 20-foot ladders after seeing the Hardy Boys do it at the Gund Arena in October of 1999. So this means so much to me to be able to start this podcast with you. And I hope everyone enjoyed this as much as I did because it's only going to get more fun as we talk about Hangman Adam Page next week here on The Extreme Life of Matt Hardy. The words have been spoken, and we will see you guys next time here on The Extreme Life of Matt Hart.